Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to have you back into the Powerhouse Lounge. I am your wonderful host yet again, James Kemp. Now, we, we often wonder, you know, what is it about music that makes us excited to do what we do? Well, today's show is definitely up your alley then. For the sheer fact that uh, I can tell you that the interviews I have today are going to kick some ass. Because they're from two women rockers, man. Two women within the Portland music industry that are going above and beyond everything that they're doing. And I am just excited to have these interviews. I mean, I, I can say so much more. Uh, before I get into who our guests are today, I want to thank my wonderful sponsors who make this show happen. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank Fat Bull Clothing and Fat Bull Farms out of Arcata, California. The wonderful people who put t-shirts and hats on my body, but they also clothe so many other people with tank tops, hoodies, zip-ups. I think I said tank tops already, t-shirts. You know, they have it, men's, women's, kids. Uh, they, they have something for everybody. Now, they also carry disc golf supplies. Uh, some DJ supplies, like, I think, needles. They used to last time I was in there for uh, DJ equipment. And I think some records, just a small selection of records for DJs, as well as some uh, graffiti art supplies for those wonderful graffiti artists or tag artists, the ones who do wonderful stuff on the side of buildings and walls. Uh, I think they have multiple colors, multiple tips, just so you can get it right, guys. I'm telling you, Fat Bull Clothing is where it is at. You can also reach them at fatbull.com where you can just get a selection of all their stuff. They have wonderful art on their t-shirts, wonderful artists. If you want custom stuff done, they do custom printing. I mean, they are too legit to quit, my friends, and they keep doing it. Also, on the back end of that, Fat Bull Farms, their cannabis farm. You can only get their special blends of cannabis right there in Humboldt County and hopefully in the future Chicago. But right now in Humboldt, Fat Bull Farms is where your, her your herbal healing needs to go. And I'm telling you folks, if you want some good strains of cannabis, reach out to them. They have them. Now, I also have Vortex Music Magazine, guys. Vortex Music Magazine, such a wonderful publication out of the Pacific Northwest, mainly in Portland, but they, they're in such a niche market. They, they just focus on local artists. And I can't tell you how awesome that really is. It's awesome in so many ways because it allows artists to grow and artists to know one another and know who they're working with. Instead of feeling like it's a competition, Vortex helps spotlight that it isn't, and we're all in this together. The magazine boasts so many great articles, uh, advertisements for just multiple music avenues here in the Portland industry. Now, we are shut down right now, and we understand all that. However, I I'm telling you guys, um, it's, it's phenomenal. It's just, they're still going with a shutdown. 
I, I mean, Chris Young and the gang over there, they just do so much. And I'm so happy to have them on board of the Powerhouse Lounge. Now, I want to get into my other sponsors uh, after we get into this first interview. So let me get into who we have on the show today. We have none other than Corey Voss of The Hugs. Yes, Portland's power pop punk Brit pop, whatever the hell you want to call them, sensation, The Hugs. Now, she's their bass player, and she is just a wonderful rocker. She has a phenomenal story. She comes from a, a musical family. It's just, it's a, such a good interview, and I'm excited to give, give you this interview, guys. Uh, this is something very special. So dig in. You know the routine. After that, I'll play a song, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit more about the next artist. I'm not going to give that one away. I'm just going to tell you who the first interview is. Tricked you. Ha ha. Anyways, we'll get right into it, guys. So uh, I hope you enjoy the Koi Voss interview. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm walking back into the Powerhouse Lounge. My next guest is someone that I've known for just a couple of years, but she is someone that I have grown to love in the music industry every time I get a chance to hang out with her, talk, just pick her brain musically. But overall, she musically, she's much more talented than just that. Uh, I tell you what, she is a phenomenal photographer. She is a phenomenal producer in her own right of her own music. Uh, but most of all, she's a kick-ass bass player that I truly dig. Uh, she plays in a band that I've seen a few times and shot a few times, The Hugs. And, uh, you know, she has other adventures going on. So what's going on, Corey Voss? How are you doing, my friend? Good. I'm good. Happy to be here. I feel like everybody must say that, right? Uh, well, it, it is. It, well, i happy to be here, but, you know, I, I, I can always tell. You know, as a host, you can usually tell <laughs> who's happy, who's not, who's half, half lit, who's, you know, had a long day. But it's always yeah. nice to hear, happy to be here, because that just shows the impact that I've had with you guys. Otherwise, you'd be like, yeah, piss off. I don't want to be a part of your show. So <laughs> uh, I, I get it. Uh, no, so what's been up? I mean, it's been a long time. I think the last time I saw you, you guys were with uh, Kalulu, and you guys were playing the Doug Fur, and that yeah, was yeah, that was our uh, album release show when we released "Love You to Death," our latest record. Yeah, which I I, I love to death. By the way, it plays oh. on rotation in my house quite often. Thank you. That that's awesome to hear. Yeah, well, it's funny. We, haven't played it well since July. It's really uh, eaten at me. Yeah, I well, you had a you had a small tragedy happen, which we'll get into with your gear too. Which uh, I was gonna say, it's funny because I don't like a lot of the poppiness of today, but you guys hit the mark when it comes to like that that Brit pop punk that just ties everything so magically together. And I, you know. I, my house is infiltrated because I have a 14-year-old daughter with Harry Styles. And she, oh, tries yes. to pass the, she tries to pass that off as Brit pop punk to me. I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. That, that's, to me, it's not. I, I grew up in a different <laughs> era, obviously, uh, than most. Uh, and, you know, Bad Religion was where, you know. Oh, was, yeah. Yeah. You know, Bad Religion, social, uh, social distortion, suicidal tendencies, you know, all of that. Um, so it, it's like, 
come on guys, you, you, you have to give me something more. And then you guys just come in with this different flavor. Cause I know Danny, who I, I'm going to have on the show in the future, him and I talk so often too, like you and I do not that I, I, what I like to do with this podcast is like take you guys separately and then get you come together. That way I can pick brains separately oh, okay. yeah. and pick brains together because being an entity like the hugs, you guys all have your own parts but when you come together mm-hmm. and collaborate, there's so much magic there. And I see the chemistry. That's amazing chemistry that you guys have on stage. Um, and I, you guys just hit the mark with that whole, the whole where your influences come from. And it, you are true to your sound is what I'm ultimately trying to get at. So I appreciate that. And that's why I love you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's definitely all Danny. Like He's the... He's the powerhouse pop writer behind behind the scenes with everything. I just get up there and have a blast. You oh know, man, it's my favorite thing. Every time I see you, you're having fun. Like I I I've got this notion in my head now. I have to at least try and catch you jumping on stage because every time I, you're bouncing around stage, you're jumping around. You're just on the floor. You're up high. You're down low. <laughs> you're everywhere, and it's just like for a photographer, that's a lot of fun. Because I get to chase you around stage, you know? Um, yeah. I just lose my mind a little bit. Isn't that the way music's supposed to be, though, is you lose yourself in it? Yes, absolutely. That's why I love Danny's music. You know, it's it's definitely stuff I would have listened to uh, when I was younger and would have died to see them when they were, in their, uh, when they were signed to Columbia and, you know, doing right. the whole kit caboodle thing right no and that's that's a big deal i mean his writing sound his music is so phenomenal now how did you become associated with danny delgado and the hugs because i know you come from a musical family anyways you have a music background so, yeah so well, let's talk about danny and then we'll get into your background a little bit um i actually i actually just uh answered a craigslist ad i was it was the only one and only craigslist ad i answered i was pretty uh frustrated with my current situation and where i was getting with trying to get the people i knew to uh start a band with me so i just was like fuck it i'm going to craigslist Nice. And then uh, he was the first one that I answered, and he sent over the music, and I was like, "There's no, there's no way, there's no way this is right. He must have sent the wrong thing." And then I, you know, did my due diligence. It was like, "Oh my god, this is great. I right. like this." Right. So it just by happen chance at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, it was just I saw an ad. Indie garage rock bassist wanted. I was like, that's what I like. You're like, I like that. That that's a that's a catchy headline. So the the email was it just one email, one audition? How did that all work out? Um, it was like one email because I he asked for like uh, previous music, so I sent him my old band's stuff. And it was like one audition and I was in. It was actually funny when I went and saw, he invited me to go see him play um, as a duo with Jack Burgess. And I didn't realize that Jack was British and I thought he was faking the accent at first. 
So I kind of mimicked it back. And he's like, hello. And I'm like, hello. Oops. Oh, oops. Way to step in at your first night, right? Yeah, first impressions. Super. Super but those good are the moments that make us. Those are the moments that you you remember because you're like, all right, this is. You walk in there, you're like, well, I screwed up. Wonder how the rest of this is going to go. So, obviously, it went well. Yeah, yeah. Went so in, I, watched them play, and was like just in love with you know the harmonies that he and Jack were doing, and it's like, yep, okay, this is real. I'm going to do this. So, when was your first official show with the Hugs? Uh, I want to say it was the end of November or early December at the White Eagle in 2016. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've only been with them a few years at this point. Yeah, I thought you'd been a mainstay for quite a long while. No, no, that wow. was. I've been three, three years. What what day is it? Where where are we? What we are in May. I love it. In the <laughs> month of May. This this actually will be released in uh, September time frame. I I kind of break the the third wall, the fourth wall here kind of thing, letting people know, because you're like, what day is it? And Well, what? this won't be released till uh, the middle of, well, middle to end of summer, and uh, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's looking like three years at this point, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Four? So, four. We're going on four, I guess, with the hugs, with yeah. you and the hugs. Yeah. So, so with all of that said, it's been a crazy adventure. You guys have released a couple of albums since mm-hmm. I've been around in Portland. Um, when I stepped in the Portland scene, you were one of the first bands that I was suggested I go shoot. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. And I was I was kind of floored by it because I'm like, I don't even know how to get a hold of them. And then it was you guys were playing the Roseland. Yeah. And shooting the Roseland. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I, I had a lot of fun that show. I've shot quite a few shows there. But that, that, I think that was my first real encounter with you guys was at the Roseland. You know, yeah, back I remember in, uh, that. What, 2017, I want to say? Yeah, and with the kooks. Yeah, the kooks. And that was, that was definitely uh, a different atmosphere. And that's a bigger mm-hmm. venue. So what was it like playing on bigger venues? Because you, you've kind of been, you stepped right up into it because the hugs were already established before you came into the band. So what was it like mm-hmm. stepping into the, the, the bigger venues? Oh, it was awesome. It kind of fuels you, you know, the smaller the room, the easier it is to get in your own head about it. Um, and about playing and not, you know, obviously there's a whole lot more, uh, that goes into it beforehand and nervousness and, you know, preparation from a, uh, band perspective and practice. Um, but like once you're up there, there's, you know, the bigger stages are, you know, you're not going to hit anybody when you turn around 
you have good sound, you know, there's a green room. Well, although the green room at Roseland is <clears throat> super I, I, nice. Yes. So, so nice. I, I will say that the green room at the Roseland, uh, I, I have been in nice, nice ones. And that one is at the, I, I will be nice about about how I feel about that green room, but I, I have been in some pretty decent ones, and that one is one of the ones on the bottom. And so, how mm-hmm. I judge been used is by their green room, to be honest. That that's it's sad yeah. because you walk into a venue, you can have a great venue, like you said, you have the best sound in the world. But in my eyes, an artist needs to be comfortable. They have to have comfort in what they're doing. Stage yeah. is one thing, like you said, you can turn and hit somebody. That's that's bound on any stage. I that's you know just learning your spacing, but the green room you want to <laughs> yes, it's learning spacing. I'm I'm a drama kid, sorry, but no. At the end of the day, it's it's like I want my my artists that I work with when I manage them to be comfortable. I want there to be space for them to kind of stretch their legs, and yeah. that one really can't. Yeah, it's a it's an odd it's an odd little yes. So going yeah the kooks. The Kook Show was amazing, and that was my first iteration to you. And that was like that was six months before I was after I was told I should shoot you guys. So, oh, wow. yeah, and my 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 introduction to you guys was kind of odd too, because I was like, oh hi, I'm here in the photography. Like you guys, are like oh hey, and then you guys were on stage. That's kind of that's kind of how I remember it going, you know. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> Hey, we just climbed like a bunch of stairs. We're ready to go. We're ready to go. Yeah. And you guys found a phenomenal show. And then I've had a couple other uh, opportunities to work with y'all. And I, every time I've worked with you, I've just, that rapport is built. And I think that's due to like the, the idea of we're in this together and what mm-hmm. you have a music background. Was that part yeah. of your, the background that you grew up in is that music's were in this together? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, my father's a musician. He's a bassist also always. A, he was in a band. He married a guitarist. Um, my little brother is a boy genius. His band snooze is a, just one of the best bands I've ever heard in my life, honestly. And, you know, it, we grew up with our dad kind of leading us in this, you know, nobody's better than anybody else. You know, you may be the best guitarist, but if you're a dick, nobody's going to want to work with you, you know? Mm-hmm. And lo- my little brother legitimately is one of the best musicians on the planet, but he is also one of the nicest people as well and super Super awesome. I love my little brother. He's definitely, you should have him on your podcast. <laughs> I, I would love to have your little brother on my podcast, man. I, yeah. I love to bring in music from all over and regionally and just hear stories because the stories are what make us. And having a music background, you're, you're not the first artist I've had on the podcast at this point that has had a, a parent or somebody that was influential and taught them how to be humble in the industry. Do you find yeah. being humble has gotten you where you wanted to be? Or has it held you back? 
because I know being humble in some cases, some people are just a dick in general. And we're like, yeah, I don't care if you're humble. You're just going to pay your dues the way I paid them. Have you found those instances as well? Um, I think you definitely, as an artist, I think being humble is great. I think you need to be humble. I think, you know, there's confidence and then, you know, you got to mix it up and balance it with being humble. But I definitely, when people are, um, like from the management perspective, being humble is absolutely, you have to throw it out the window. Like, yeah, I, I found that out the, the previous six months before we went into this whole pandemic thing and you have to be ruthless in management, but as an artist, you, it's, I think it's the, it's the artist's job to make up for their man, management's shortcomings. Um, yes and no. I mean, a good manager will get what you want without ruining any buddy, like burning any bridges and not right. uh, stepping on toes. And it's always creating a nurturing and healthy relationship with the venues and the talent. And, you know, and if something goes wrong, they have to be able to handle it in a professional manner. But there's always like that old school and they're still out there, you know, those old school managers who, you know, they were above the law. They were above everybody. And, you know, the not like wake up the nineties happened. You're not the culture. There's a culture shift. And, you know, when grunge and punk resurged in the nineties, uh, like all of a sudden having a big head about being good at what you do is a negative attribute. And, you know, Right. Staying humble, like bands like Green Day, who would like go out to um, record, like go out to lunches with record labels and just say, like, we're just here for the free lunch and then leave. You know, that that's the kind of coolness that I think everybody shoots for and not the I'm so great. Sign me, sign me, sign me kind of. Right. Well, because well, you're, you're being. Dance. You're being courted. It's so funny to hear that story because that's not the first time I've heard a Green Day story. I actually told um, on episode two of the podcast a Mickey Avalon story about how the Red Hot Chili Peppers came out, John Frusciante, and like told the crowd to go f themselves because they booed a hip hop artist they'd never heard off stage. It's just like the humbleness and protecting what what they do. And Green Day is just cool enough to be like, "Yeah, we're just here because we wanna we wanna have lunch," you know. We, we just yeah. it's just. When you get to that level, that that's what punk rock got to in the like mid '90s, early 2000s, because that grunge era. Because I grew up in the grunge era for the most part, and into the early 2000s, um, and I remember that whole paradigm shift, and it was very different. It, it went from all these badasses and leather coats and spiked hair and wanting to kick your ass everywhere you went to these people who were trying to be better than the culture that they were brought up in, but also still maintain that badass level uh, reputation. Yeah. They want like, everybody's your friend. That's like, right. That's the culture. Everybody's your friend. You know, you can't, uh, what is it? The saying is like, you can't 
attract bees with vinegar. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's how that goes. I can't remember off the top of my head. You caught me off guard with one. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, it's kind of like uh, the whole the whole punk rock scene. I like using punk rock because that's kind of what I grew up in uh, mm-hmm. and around. Is it, it the shift of, you know, let's, let's beat the hell out of everybody to let's beat the hell out of everybody and be friends at the same time shift. Uh, you can see that in bands like uh, Brand New and like yellow card they're two varying sides of punk rock in the early 2000s but they Mm -hmm. maintained a level of friendship which they were deemed the black sheep of the punk rock industry because they they were two varying entities but they were able to be friends yeah that's like that's how i was introduced to music really outside of just listening to records with my dad and my family as i um started out on the Chicago punk scene. And what we would do is we'd, you know, cram into this tiny little studio called Pirate Studios. And the first time I went, there's this band called Downtown Brown. And they're still around and they're freaking awesome. And uh, they, they had this song called Sit in the Pit. And so everybody sat down. And, you know, it's like, come on, girl, get next to me. Why are you so are angry? Please don't kick me in the head. And then it keeps on going and then it speeds up and then everybody just gets up and beats the ever living shit out of each other. And it was so much fun. And be That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And like, mind you, this is a 20 foot by 20 foot, like just open space. And that, as a 15-year-old, that was just the coolest thing. And everybody was helping people up, getting out of the, you know, if you fall down, somebody picks you up, you don't have to worry about it, you know. Yeah, I, that was something new to me. Uh, as I, I shot my first real, like, hardcore metal show up here, that I wasn't, like— That was uh, different. <laughs> that was very different. And— mm-hmm. And I was in the, like, they were doing circle pushes and then mosh. And they, they had people, like, I, they saw me with the camera. They saw me go down. They picked me up by my collar. I had another, uh, she was she didn't have a camera there. She ended up being one, she's actually one of my close confidants now as a photographer. But she goes, I'll block for you. She's, like, 5'10", you know, broad shoulders. And was like, I'll block for you. And everybody around me was like, oh, yeah, if you, if you get in a, if you need to get front, we'll, we'll form a line behind you. No joke. That was the most friendliest pit I had ever been in as a photographer. Because, like, oh, yeah, we've yeah. got your back. We, we're just going to form a wall, and we'll, just, we'll push them away from you. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Hello. I'm new yeah. here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, what was, how did that make you feel that, to know that that was the scene that you were growing up in? Um, well, for me, that was, like, that was when my life started, honestly, like I was not, that's when I found who I was, was through punk music and, you know, um, being able to be goofy and stupid and get out all your extra energy at shows and just like have a good time was like the main was the main thing and nobody cast judgment didn't matter that I, you know, wasn't popular in school or I, you know, 
they didn't care that I was a volleyball player or what have you, or AP student. They didn't care that I was a nerd. They just cared that I showed up and had a good time, you know? Yeah. See, and that, that was kind of the same thing at, at 15, 16 years old for me was I was the metal kid, the hard rock metal kid, you know, mm-hmm. the, the weird kid who I was and all the, I had good grades. I did, I didn't do a lot of sports, but I, for me, it was like going to music was, that was my outlet. That was home. That was safe. Yeah. That, that, you know, you could always hear music in my room playing. It didn't matter what it was. So it's just growing up that way. Do you think it helped shape who you are as a musician today? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, like I said, I was, I had a rough upbringing, like with kids being mean and everything. And once I found music, I actually felt like, you know, I could be myself and come out of that, you know, dark, depressing place I was in and start to kind of undo the damage that, that, you know, middle school and earlier years of high school had done, were trying to fit in and all that. And actually finding friends that, you know, gave a shit about you. Right. And those friends who gave a shit about you, if you think about it, they didn't care about how you looked, how you dressed. They just wanted to make sure that you were okay. Yeah. And that so, that's that's the reality of, like, I, 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 this is how I tell any kid who wants to get into music or any kid who wants to get into the arts. Take what it, reservations you have about the art, because people are always going to say something. You're going to look weird. You're going to be the weird kid. You're going to have purple hair, blue hair, black, whatever, whatever you want to dress yourself as, because the arts let you be creative. Yeah. Don't, don't let those people bully you, because like you said, you found yourself. I found myself through the arts. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that there's something there that for those who I, I I'm not saying something there, but something to it that the kids who are driven to arts are a little bit more creatively instinctually. Oh, definitely. I think if you're drawn to fine art or, you know, just any, any art, you know, I think there's creativity there and, I mean, there's creativity in sports, too, you know, depending on what you're looking at. Like, if you're looking at somebody drawing up plays for football or, you know. But um, I think, you know, music, art, all that stuff is just a, it's, it's very creatively driven. Right. I, I, I don't want to disregard sports because I played sports, too. Um, yeah. and you're right. They, they, they drive your brain creatively differently. Um, yeah. one more physical than the other is what I would, I would, I'd associate them differently in that way yeah. of creativity because art I found, and I, I've seen it in your art because gosh, the way you will on that base, you have, and the way you move on stage, you, you have to have that freedom. You have to, it's like you found your, your spirit animal in a way when you're on stage, you just let go. Was that because you, you, you had something to prove to those people who bullied you? Was it just because you're like, Hey, this is who I'm going to be. And this is who I want to be. 
how did that all come to be? Because you have a persona on stage. And like you said, earlier when you started playing, you're bouncing around trying not to hit people. And when you're on these bigger stages, you have the room to roam and the room to be yourself. So a lot of that is growth. How did you find yourself like growing and able to be who you are now on stage? I think a lot of it has to, it, it just comes from the love of the music itself and learning to love myself and just be myself because that really is just me. You know, I don't, have you ever heard my stage banter? It's terrible. It's terrible. It's not the professional. Thanks guys. Thanks for coming. And we've got merch over here. It's just like, Oh my God, look at you guys. You look so good. Oh my God. I think I've only heard you stage banter once. Yeah. Usually because I personally, and I tell my bandmates, like, you guys got to do the profesh talk because every time I open my mouth, I just, stupid comes out because I'm just having fun. I'm like, but you know what? That That's sometimes that, that creates a, a mystique about you just being the silent type and being up there doing what you do best because then they can see the virtue, virtuoso that you are as a as a bass player because you're phenomenal i i've seen a lot of bass players and i and i i i i put you up here in the pacific northwest as one of the best that i've seen as a bass player for uh, for young and up and coming and being a part of a band that is very successful and being able to walk right into it now as a bass player because i know as a photographer we all have our our follies and things that happened to us that set us back a little bit. Recently, you had your gear stolen, didn't you? Yeah, that, you know. That that sucks. Yeah, I thought thought my car had an alarm on it. I really, truly did. Didn't. How did that all happen? Was it outside of a venue? Was it outside of a rehearsal, your home? Because that sucks. Yeah, I was coming home from rehearsal really late. We we were doing a double, like, uh, practicing for a, a show that was going to be us playing for an hour and a half um, instead of the usual 45, so I was exhausted. And I parked uh, in front of a place with security cameras and everything and, you know, walked out the next morning, and it was gone. Like the car was gone too. What? I, I so I thought it was just your gear. I didn't realize your car had got stolen. Now this is a bit of a crazy story. Yeah. I, so I so this is this is how it came across my newsfeed. I got the newsfeed. I, I checked Insta and a picture of whatever you posted, and then I'm no longer in the hugs, and I'm like, my heart sank to the floor. I'm like, oh no, what happened? Like what, what happened for all this to happen? And now your car got stolen on top of your gear getting stolen. So it did they recover? It, did, it didn't get stolen. It got towed. Oh, Turns cool. out I thought it was, I thought it was Friday because that's how tired I was. It oh, was dang. It was Thursday. Oh no. Yeah. So it got towed and I didn't find out. So the way I found out that my car was towed, I was, I was supposed to meet friends over at Star Bar, and I was like, "Where? Where's my car? Oh my god! Oh, there's broken grass over here. Oh no! 
And then I called uh, the police, and they're like, oh, no, I was towed. I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Thank I'm you. So, oh, so did all your gear, was your gear stolen? Was it in the car? It was stolen before it was towed. So, oh my they goodness. Had it towed after it was broken into. Oh, is it? That's just a real kick in the teeth at that point. Because and I had to go to the shop owner who had my car towed and go, hey, can I have that security footage, please? And he's like, yeah, you should call the news. He's like, I should call the news. You're like, I should. I wish yeah, I would have called the news. Also, my... I wish you would have just like not towed my car, but whatever. Right, I know. I wish I would have called the news about my gear getting stolen. I had, I had a similar situation last year, uh, or the year before last. I was shooting Reverend Horton Heat at the Doug Fur. And had my car broken into, and I dropped my bag in my car. I'm like oh, an no. idiot. I didn't. I left it in the front seat instead of dropping it in the back seat where my windows were tinted. And somebody busted out my passenger side window and stole my about three thousand dollars worth of camera equipment. So, uh. word to the wise people: make sure you know where you're at. Make sure you have security footage because, well, I didn't and she did. So hopefully you got your gear back. I and, have renter's insurance. That if I, The one piece of advice I could give you, get renter's insurance. It's only 30 bucks a month. That's what saved my, my tush. Saved everything right there. Yeah. So did they ever catch the guy? Did you ever get any of your gear back that was stolen? Nope. Not a single thing. And that's Portland for you, because I've never seen a single thing of mine either. Yeah, the uh, the one thing they couldn't get out of the car, and he was struggling to get out because of the way I put it in the car, because it uh, was my base, and that was the most sentimental thing that I own. My father gave that to me. It's been on tour with me. I got it when I graduated um, high school. So it's been with me for 10 years, 11. How old am I? Long time. Long time. It, it's long been time. a long time. Well, and long no, time. truth. No, and that, that's, that's really important. You know, gear is replaceable. When you have something sentimental like that, it's more than just gear. And yeah, so I was just relieved that my base was still there. And, you know. Man. Yeah. Because well, that would have. Broken. That would have sucked. Yeah. yeah. I'm really happy that things turned out okay. Your car was towed. I thought it was stolen. I'm like, oh my gosh, everything on top of it, yeah. car stolen, gear stolen, but car towed. So you had to pay the tow fine, which I wish, like you said, I wish the, the owner or the store manager wouldn't have had me towed. That saved, that would save me a few, few bucks. Yeah. Just a pretty penny. Yeah. Towing's not cheap. Um, that's why you get friends in the tow industry. Word to the wise for all those musicians. Or, but there's two ways you can go about this. Do not have your car towed. Get friends in the tow industry and have them get you a, a parking pass that has the tow company that's, you know, Ooh. represented. I have one of those from a tow company in Portland. Uh, I try and find their lots. Or you... Uh, or if you're at a venue, there are a lot of venues around the Pacific Northwest and in Portland area that do have loading and offloading and uh, banned parking. So. Yeah, the musician loading permit is a thing that um, 
is going around with the oh, what is it called the music, music Portland. Yeah, music Portland. It's so easy. Why didn't I remember it? You know, and I'm actually a part of that advocacy group. We we are yeah. actually, and that's I love it. They're so great. Um, Mara and Chris Young of Vortex and all the the board members over there. They do a great job for all of us artists in the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest, and that's a great thing. So maybe we can get more spots like that, even rehearsal spaces and places that people are are rehearsing at, because that would prevent a lot of fraud and a lot of uh, theft. I think. Well, you would think, you would hope. Well, I, yeah, I, I, mean, I stand corrected. It is, it is dirty in some areas of where we, we live up here. So back to the music aspect of this. <laughs> <laughs> so now you, you've got everything back. You, your insurance covered it all. Are you guys writing new music? Are you, are you woodshedding music? Do you have anything that's on the horizon? Um, I think Danny has been writing, but, uh, the whole pandemic has put a whole stopper on all plans. You know, we've got friends in the industry that have said that they're furloughed until 2021. So we don't know what, what to expect. Right. I think, I don't think anybody does, you know, I, I keep, I have so many friends who I just, in the industry, they're like, well, we don't know what to do. I go, well, first things first, start woodshedding music and then put a couple of singles out. Keep your fans interested. That's why I tell anybody, keep your friends, your not you, well, your friends too, keep them engaged, but keep your fans engaged because they, if they're yeah. not engaged, then they're going to lose sight of you in that next big, big break or that next big, you know, breaking yeah. artist is going to come and take your place. So number one, keep your fans engaged. I think also it's important um, for a lot of professional musicians to remember that uh, exactly the opposite too. Like you don't have to pressure yourself to take the situation that everybody's in and and say, well, I'm going to be the one to be the guy who makes it super productive. It's just like those people that, you know, we all secretly hate that are currently working out at home right now, being the best selves and all that living my best life. You know? I know. Oh, I, I know. Um, well, so see, I think, but yeah, I it, get it. It's important to keep it realistic and say like, you're allowed to think that this sucks too. You know, it's really important to not to, overwork yourself because suddenly you don't have any live dates. Right. Right. No. And that makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's another thing that there are two sides to that coin. I, I, my point in it is, is if, if you have the time woodshed, but don't forget to take mental breaks because if you are an everyday musician and this is what you do day in and day out and you don't have a day job, then yeah, you if you don't have any live dates and you're you're just trying to fill time, you, maybe you should fill that time watching Netflix like a lot of people have done. Um, but don't forget to write some music in the process. It, it's don't yeah. work yourself to where you get burnt out when this whole thing lives. You're like, yeah, I don't want to tour for another year. Then you've been gone for three years. Yeah, yeah. Don't think you have to come up with the world's hottest album right now. 
there are a lot of fun things to do in the pandemic that relate to writing. I mean, there's the 20 song challenge where you try and write 20 songs in uh, 12 hours. And it's a really fun, challenging thing to do if you're just like in a writer's block or anything and you just want to spoot step. It's, it's about finishing, you know, you right. finish something and maybe you get one idea out of it, but at least you got 20 different ideas, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like noodling around for a minute and a half you know, trying to figure out lyrics or something and you, just short songs, which is a great idea. I, I, I hadn't even ever heard of that. That's something new to me, which is really yeah. cool. It's um, it's a thing that's going around in uh, the hugs have done it once as a band. Boy, was that, that sucked, man. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, I don't think I've known any other bands to do it together besides Kalululu. Uh, but they, I think they just did it, David and and Jeff sitting together and doing it, or just Jeff by himself. I don't know. But, like, we took it as, like, oh, let's do it as a band. And, like, the 12 hours doesn't factor in eating, so you have to knock out two songs or a couple songs really fast so that you can go eat and then finish the 12 hours. Oh, boy. So it's, like, eat. They, they don't factor in anything. It's like, you need to do this by starving yourself. Yeah, it's like, it's really balls to the wall. Here, it's, here's an IV. Put the IV in your arm so you can play for 12 straight hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking of stuff off the wall. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it was super fun. We're glad we did it. And, you know... But it wasn't that we didn't really use anything for the record, but it was fun to do. Okay. And I, I did it again individually, even though I'm primarily a bassist. Uh, I'm just a bassist. Like, I don't really play the guitar or anything. And I borrowed a keyboard from, you know, a couple of my friends. And we all individually from our separate houses did the 20 song challenge starting from eight 30 in the morning to eight 30 at night. And Jack uh, Burgess was part of it. His were hilarious. And then Ross from Kara gold and then Jack from those willows and then um, veiny hands was there. So, uh, Jason did it. I'm trying to think other bands. Just a lot of people in general. Yeah, a lot of lot of Portland bands that like, you know, that's our that's kind of our friendship crew is those willows, baby hands. Inner circle of friends and musicians that you just wanted to get in with. Yeah, that's it's you just I love them. They're all fantastic writers and so really fun to do that that sounds like a, an amazing challenge overall did as a basis because you, you said you borrowed a keyboard and this that and the other did you learn anything as a basis 
that you could take to stage? Did you learn anything via keyboard that you can maybe apply in the yeah. future? Nothing. <laughs> I've learned nothing. Well, I, I kind of know how to play the keyboard, but it was more, it's a definitely a writing exercise than more than a playing exercise and like a challenging yourself thing. Okay. That, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Now, with the whole thing going on, have you guys thought about doing, since we had to cancel live dates all the way around, have you thought about doing live streams? We have, but um, we haven't gotten around to it or just, like, haven't, you know, we just haven't done it. <laughs> no, no excuses. We haven't done no, it. Excuse, no excuses. We just... Uh, it, it's just like like you said, you, you're kind of taking this time to see what kind of pans out and works out because you don't want to go in and burn yourselves out before you even get going again. So I, I, I can see the point and not even just doing it. Yeah. I've heard artists who have said, we're just not going to do it at all because we don't see the point. It, it's it, There's something to be said about a live crowd. Yeah. And that, that was something that took me back is like something to be said about a live crowd. You know, I've heard athletes say it. I've heard sports entertainers say it. I've heard, uh, media personality say it, but hearing it from a musician, it really hit home on a different level. Is that uh, does that play into any of you guys' thought process? Definitely. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to say that like doing live stuff is not worth it or people won't enjoy it, but like for me as a fan, for the bands that I'm a fan of, like. Um, you know, seeing them play on their cell phone isn't really what I'm like, that's not, it doesn't add value to me. You know, it's, it's like watching a cell phone video, somebody's Snapchat, you know, of a concert, right. like I don't care, <laughs> you know, right, I right, right. you with my own two eyes. And maybe if it's like, uh, like I like, if they're a guest on a podcast or like a TV show, it's different because it's, it's, a, it's a, you're consuming something different each time rather than, you know, right. Like I, I like Lizzo's content because it's always different and she's got a TikTok That's really fun. Um, and I think that's how you can keep up with your fans without trying to do the live thing. But the live thing is very much for those lifestyle kind of personalities who like maybe your band does fit that that brand you know where it's you're not or you're an, a pop solo artist and people you know want to be you and they want to know what you're eating for breakfast and blah 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 whereas like a pop band I don't I really don't think they care too much about no. maybe they do I no I, I agree <laughs> I, it makes perfect sense. It has to fit. If the shoe fits, you know, wear it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you brought up a good point, lifestyle. Because I was thinking, the, the reason I bring up streaming was St. Patrick's Day, when this whole thing really started. I'm Irish. I'm a short little Irish guy. And uh, it was hard. Because I didn't get to go out to a bar on St. Patrick's Day. I, didn't, I got to eat corned beef and cabbage, of, 
that's just at home. But the thing, I'm like, live music on St. Patrick's Day to me has always been like, you have to be there. That's that's a, that's something you have to do for that day, whether it's out drinking or whatever. It's just something about that atmosphere. And I got to thinking, oh, I'm going to throw on YouTube. No joke. Two minutes before the show started, Dropkick Murphys actually did a live stream where they had a production company doing their live stream for for them. Would you guys be interested? And if it was like a production company saying, hey, we want the hugs to come do a live stream, would you be interested in that instead of it being more of a cell phone or or a one-off type of thing? Like as a fan? Well, as a fan and as an artist. I mean, as an artist, I always love that stuff, you know, because it's like you never you never get to really see you yourself do stuff like on stage as and you, you never get to like see the chemistry that you feel when you're on stage and the fun that it is. So it's always fun to see that. But um, I still don't think it really uh, uh, adds a whole lot of value to like my personal experience as a fan because like when I get into a band, I usually like binge all their live videos, stuff like that. And that's right. more like the mood I have to be in to do it. Maybe I'll tune in and tune out, but like the, the live show is definitely an experience and it's not to be, if it was, if it was done for an experience, like as an experience with a screen, like if you did like the 3D um, or the 360 cameras where you could spin okay. your, yeah. your okay, phone yeah. around the entire time and look at the band while they were playing live, that would be cool. Because then it's an interactive bit. Like a virtual reality bit something that you can really it's it's almost tangible in that right because you can almost kind of feel the energy you know right no makes perfect sense i i can see that and i i asked that question because it's so it's so relevant right now because Mm -hmm. there are two two entities and two paths that people are taking the ones who are well yeah it's not for me and the ones who are saying yeah this is how we're making making our hay. And I'm like, you know, for the ones doing it, I, I, I encourage anybody who, who has any interest in watching a live stream of your favorite band, do it. I'm not discouraging it. Go and yeah. do it. Tip those guys, though, because they are taking the time to put on a show for you. It may not be the real deal like you we may want, because I'm, I'm more of a tangible, I want to be there, I want to feel the energy, I want to be right next to the, the you know, the main and feel that bass coming in, you know, I, I want to feel it reverberate through my body. Um, yeah. and I can't get that from home. You can only turn up a home stereo so loud before people start getting mad. So true. These are true things. Truth. Right. I mean, I, I, I just, when it comes to music and writing music, what drives you then? Because if you're not consuming it, I guess I, I know you're still consuming it, but if you're not consuming it in the streaming fashion of watching, um, watching some of the bands that you, you grew up, 
how are you consuming music and how is that influencing you to write music right now? I definitely love vinyl. Like there's something about hearing the needle drop and then listening to it and hearing the imperfections. Um, and you know, I'm kind of like, that's how I was raised. It's kind of silly, but my dad used to burn me CDs of old records and include the needle drop on it. That's amazing. That is so cool. I, I I love (laughs) vinyl too. Uh, my wife gets mad at me because I have vinyl everywhere. So I, I, I definitely get the feeling of like the, the needle drop and the crackle and the pop, that old crispness, because you know it's been played and it's getting that wear that you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're writing music, do you keep the whole vinyl sound in mind then? Because you have you have an ear of how you like to hear things. Do you, Is that the way you want your, your records to come across? Is that something you've talked to Danny about even? about maybe making it sound like an old school record. Yeah. So that was a big conversation with love you to death is that, um, you know, Danny's records in the past had been really long, you know, 14, 15 songs. And I wanted to get him back to like eight, he did like eight really, really good songs dial it back, do it where each song is, could be somebody's favorite. And I used Led Zeppelin as an example, like you put a Zeppelin record on and there is song after song after song of singles, you know, and you could listen to the whole record. Whereas I think a lot of bands think about their record as like an accompanying piece to a single where I, I think that has killed a lot of the industry in, in, in the beauty of it, because somebody, some artists really care about their record, but, uh, the way it's being produced is that it's not getting the right love and attention that it really needs, you know? No, I, so, I can totally agree to that. That's amazing. Because you can tell from the last Hugs record and this out, this one that the the length is definitely a lot different. And it, there's definitely a different vibe to it. That each song could almost be felt or played as a single. It, it, there's a good arc to the album. Yeah. We wanted it to be like a, a story, you know? Like, right. That's you know, not play. just quiet songs at the end or, you know, it goes up and then it goes, it like starts off low, comes up, comes back down, goes up again and then goes back down. Well, yeah, yeah. I just mentioned, I don't know if you heard me, like a three act play. It's like it, yeah. it builds, it, it builds like a story, a true play should. You have your, you have your baseline, you get your, your gradual rise into the second act. You're still climbing, climbing at the end of the second act. You're at the very peak and coming into the third, you're coming back down on that, that emotional roller coaster back down. And that's, I think if you build records that way, cause you hit the nail right on the head, you listen to Zeppelin, you listen to the Eagles, you listen to any band, I guess from 
1950 to like 1982, I guess. Their main focus was, that's how we're going to make a record. You get past that, it was more pushed as you hit the other part of it. We're going we're gonna to put this record out, but the, the record's an accompanying piece to the single. And that's not the way it should be. Yeah. I mean, it's the way it can be. It's just, it's a way, it's because it's been that way for a lot of bigger artists than, you know, it's like a trickle down effect. You know, they listen, you listen to a record when you're a kid, like Dookie, and you're like, holy crap, every song is great. And then you, come to another artist a couple years later where it's like, oh, this is the only good song on this record. And then I have a few of those. Every, and then it, you keep getting older and you're like, wow, it's a lot of that. And then as a writer, you start to think, well, oh, I only have one shot. I have to write one good song. And then that changes the way everybody writes, you know? And instead of writing, a whole, like, when you feel like it, you're, the pressure is on to make the single that's going to break you, you know? And that that's a, that's a tough mentality to be in, I would think. And, it, you know, you're right. Every artist is going to have their own path and their own way <laughs> of doing things. But if, you can, if, if you're an artist... My suggestion would be don't go into writing an album that you need to write a single that is going to break you. You should look at the whole album as the album that's going to break you, if that's what it's going to be. Even if it's not going to break you, you should look at it that way, I would believe. You can agree to disagree or whatever you may hear, um, but I feel that if you look at it from a, a wider perspective, then it's just one song. It's that album is more than one song that's going to make make you. That album yeah, is so in great. the entirety is what's going to make you. The yeah. song alone, one song shouldn't make or break your album. Yeah. And that's what I loved about "Love You to Death." It wasn't just one song that made made or broke the album. The whole album was just consistently good. It was. You you had the ebbs and flows right. You you it was just you you wanted to get away from the quietness, and and you wanted you wanted to up you not get away from the quietness. You wanted to have a flow to it, to where it just like you could tell where stuff was. I should say. Mm-hmm. How did how did Danny take to that when it came down to it? Because I know he's a phenomenal songwriter, and he like you said he wanted to make these what seem like masterpiece records, which they're, they're great because they're in the entireties. Yeah. Uh, getting him to shrink back down, was that a tough thing to do? Not really. Um, I think, you know, he was itching to release a record and the, the songs that we thought, like we just basically said, do you think this could be a single? And posed the question, and we trimmed it down from like twenty songs to how many? How many are in the album? Twelve. I think I think it initially came out with twelve. I don't have it right here by me. I can't even I tell you. I think there's twelve. I want to say nine. No, it's it's nine. It's nine. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
12. I, I know, right? Um, but no, I, I just, I, I really enjoyed the album to just because it was everything about it, you know? Um, the vibe, the, the feel, everything felt like it was a, it felt like a nostalgic pop punk Brit pop punk record. It had that nostalgic feel. Was that like what your overall goal was? Was that bring the nostalgia back or give people like a different perspective of the hugs? Was it an evolution of the hugs? How did that whole thing come about? Um, can you re- uh, repeat the question? <laughs> So I, I I was just saying that overall that like the the album brought back a nostalgic feel, like oh, right. like the sound and the idea of it was like it, it was a was that the whole intention the whole time I guess was was what I'm trying to get at is was your intent to make a, a nostalgic album that that was just a complete piece that sounded something that was retro instead of. Uh, a break from uh, was it a break from the norm i should say was it an evolution for the hugs to even do something like this i think that's just how it ended up uh danny is always such a big proponent of like retro and like back to classics stuff like he's a total anglophile he loves beatles the beatles he loves um you know the kinks he just, he loves that old grit to it. And this is actually the first record that he did that we didn't record on two-inch tape. Really? So, well, yeah, yeah. He's, always, he's always been a two-inch tape guy, if I remember yeah. right. He, that's, so, that's his favorite. Was this all analog then, or was it digital? How did you do it? It was it was all digital, so we recorded it at the Dandy Warhol's um, Audi. They call it the Audi, but it's the auditorium. Um, it's their little studio playhouse thing over in Northwest Portland, and then we finished off uh, finished it off in um, Vancouver. Wow, wow. that's yeah. amazing. Um, so for all of you lounge listeners, if you don't know who the Dandy Warhols are and if you've been living on the a rock for the last 20, 25 years, um, they were a, and they still are, a phenomenal band out of the Pacific Northwest and mainly Portland that gained a lot of exposure in the early, late 90s to early 2000s. And they they have a phenomenal sound. They transformed, actually, how some of the music sounded up here even. And they yeah. now have their studio and stuff up here. They still work a lot out of the Portland area. So for all of you lounge listeners, if you're new to the program or new to new to this style of music, the Dandy Warhols are definitely uh, a band that you should look up from this area. Yeah, they're... They recorded their last album at the Audi as well. I, yeah, yeah. If I remember right, yeah, I'm thinking off the back of my head. Yeah, they did. Um, mm-hmm. They they actually 
It was funny. My first introduction to the Dandies was in the mid 2000s. And then I started listening back of their catalog. I'm like, oh my God, these guys are awesome. Why haven't I heard them sooner? Um, was working in their studio influential in a way? It was definitely like a larger than life kind of experience, you know, having, you know, their party space right next to there and having Courtney walk in and be like, you guys don't have a chef? Like, no, we don't have a chef. What are you ordering pizza? Who, who do you have budget, man? Who do you think we are? He's like, I've got this whole kitchen for the chef. I thought, you're, I, thought I was going to get some free food. Like, oh, my gosh. You know? That's hilarious. I that... I'll never forgive him. Oh, that, that's funny. That, that's great. That's, but those are cool industry stories that people don't always get to hear from the studio. I'm, I'm like a studio file. I love going into the studio with bands and just getting to sit there and listen to them talk and getting to hear stories that you never get to hear. So that, that's a cool story. That was fun. That, that's awesome. <laughs> so word to the wise, you need a chef now. And don't eat my Thin Mints, please. Don't. Nobody. Nobody eat my Thin Mints. There you go. Hurts See? my feelings. Hurts your feelings. That, that could be like your brown M&Ms, man. No brown M&Ms. Don't like leave me a bag of uh, a box of Thin Mints wherever I go. They better be from Illinois too. They better be from they Illinois. Make them, they make so them different. You're from Chicago, right? Yeah. So what part of Chicago? Because I so I I have an affinity for Chicago. Uh, the band that I manage, uh, Object Heavy, out of California, they're they're band leaders from Chicago. So I'm always. Uh, asking people from that area where are you from in that area yeah so i'm from basically wisconsin okay um, so you're you're we're you're way up here no no uh oh no uh oh i knew no, i shouldn't no, have said no, that no 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 i'm a bears fan cubs fan um yeah i went to school at depaul downtown uh, downtown Chicago and lived in the city for a couple years, but most of my life spent out in the farmland out, out by six flags. If anybody knows where that is, Gurney, that's, that's where I spent my days, your days, that's my awesome. days. Lake County that, that's, that's awesome. So what made you transplant to Portland then? Cause you're, you're now out in the Portland area from, Illinois. So yeah. So I um, was in a band and was dating a guy who was in, also in the band, and we decided, like three or four years into the relationship, that we were going to come out and meet his parents, who had also relocated from Illinois to Oregon. And they were out in Grants Pass, and uh, we, I, I shouldn't put this on my ex, I lasted about three months in Grants Pass, Oregon, before I was like, I need to get the hell out of here. And promptly applied to every job on this side of the country. Uh, 
and tried to get up to either Portland, Seattle, or down to San Francisco. And I ended up landing a job in, um, in Portland. So that's where we stayed. Isn't that funny? We all have, uh, our transplant stories. Cause I'm a transplant originally too. I'm from California and it's funny to hear Grant's past is, you know, that was going to be one of my landing spots. Cause I'm from Northern California. I'm not from the Bay area. I'm from Arcata. I'm from Humboldt. And I, um, Grant's past was going to be one of my landing spots. Cause it's only a couple hours from my, my family. And I'm like, nope, kind of the same feeling. I go, I don't think I could last more than like two or three months here because there's nothing in Grant's Pass. There really isn't. Nothing. There it, are bands that are freaking phenomenal in Ashland, though. Ashland, Bend, you get up a little bit, you know, eastward, a little bit north. Uh, they, they start to get a little bit better, but it, Grant's Pass is nothing. And, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I transplanted up here about five, six years ago, and uh, and I I'm happy I did. I, yeah. There's a different music scene, and I I grew up in a small local scene, so I I'm always asking where people are from because there's an influence from where you're from, and you you were influenced by the punk scene, and I I didn't ask earlier when you said oh the Chicago punk scene, I'm like oh yeah I I know a little bit about the Chicago punk scene, I know a little bit about the Chicago hip hop scene, um, you know. It's just, it, that's a cool area for music. And I, I'm very glad that you brought that as a part of your upbringing to uh, Portland with you, because it definitely shows in some of the way you play too, because you can tell different regions bring up different styles of playing and influences. So who are some of your influences from that area? From Chicago? Yeah. From Chicago think- in general. Um, you know, it, it was a lot of local bands. Uh, I think growing up, my biggest influence was my dad. You know, he was a bass player. And, um, you know, I loved playing Green Day songs, and I loved watching Green Day play. And then eventually, when Fall Out Boy got big, they're from Chicago. Um, I was really into their music. My stepbrother is the one who introduced me to them before they were big. And, like, their first album, man, that is a whole album full of great freaking songs. You know, it's no wonder that they got big, you know? Um, no, I, I agree. They they got big. I, I love their first couple albums, and they got way too big and way too commercialized. But you could tell. Yeah. I know. And it, the transformation is... Uh, is uh, I have no words. I have no, no words. They they are phenomenal, and I I really enjoy. I did enjoy their early music. I still enjoy some of their music. You know, Pete Wentz is a phenomenal phenomenal player himself. So yeah, he I writes mean, a lot of it. I, I think yeah. Take this to your grave is their first record, I think, and it was. Yeah, yeah. T- yeah take this to their grave. Yeah. Yeah. My my favorite Chicago punk band is Rise Against or hardcore or rock band, you know. Uh, yeah, Rise Against, freaking awesome. They, there's just something about them that they they drove the industry crazy for a bit because they didn't know what to do with them, and then you get them out in the mainstream and they just kill it. I, I love a band like 
like that. They can still maintain their their roots and yeah. not be commercialized. I um, now, when you moved to Portland, did you find influences out here that helped drive the music that you play today? Um. Well, I, I struggled coming from a huge music scene in Chicago, and I was doing the managing thing for a lot of bands out there, and I was working at venues, and out here, it's such a smaller community. It really took me like five to six years to really get my my roots planted, and it started, like, I finally found it through photography. Like, that was my in, is photography like no but there was a shortage of photographers and so that's how I started meeting bands and fellow musicians and stuff like that that see that was for me too so I came from a small area where I was a big fish same yeah and you know as a photographer I wasn't managing at that point as a photographer but even transplanting as a photographer I found it hard because I knew no bands you know, yeah. it wasn't, and kind of funny story, my first gig was the only ad that was on Craigslist. <laughs> and that I, that I, I sent a message and got me in with a couple of bands and that just blossomed from there. But I found it really hard to get in up here to start because of the scene being as small as it is. But did you find once you got in, because I know I found when I got in, that it was a lot bigger than it actually really seemed. It, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely way more clicky here than anywhere else I've been. Like, well, I've been Chicago and Lake County, Illinois, but um, and like North, southern Wisconsin area, but it was, you know, it, it, you don't get that family aspect so much as a big city because I always forget this is a city coming from Chicago because it's so much smaller that like it doesn't it, it, it it's not unified at all it's so diverse right and that that is the one thing that uh, I going to the music Portland uh, events and meetings and stuff that we hear is that the diversity is so big here that we're fighting ourselves as musicians because we're fighting yeah. over the same, the same turf. Yeah. And, and there's only a few good venues to, to, to play at, you know, with, you know, there's, there's this, well, I come from Chicago where there's 155 music venues playing music, like with music seven nights a week. So you can play right. out every night if you wanted to here. You can't. You just straight up cannot. Well, so you can, but you can't the, 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 because of the per capita. And the, mm -hmm. the one thing that I'm we're, we're starting to realize is if the musicians and venues and everybody can get unified up here, they have we in the Pacific Northwest and Portland specifically have the third largest music community base next to Hollywood and New York. Think about that. Wow. It's because there's so much music here and so little venues because venues keep getting shut up. Venues keep getting, you know, sh you know, shut down for stupid reasons, you know, and 
and they're, they're taking away places for bands to play. Now, mm-hmm. I have an idea for the hugs. Just just an idea that, that's mind, mind-blowing that you guys might get away with. Have what? you thought about doing driveway concerts? No, we haven't. Who's got a driveway? <laughs> you know what? I don't know, but we can look into it. If I do a driveway concert, you know, social distancing. Give some proper social distancing and do a driveway concert. I saw a really funny meme about that. Like, local uh, local authorities are getting all local bands to play in the street so that att- because attendance is already so low. <laughs> oh, that's, that's rough. <laughs> that's rough. I mean, I actually have a band that I know that is doing really good at driveway uh, driveway concerts right now. Drive driveway shows. That would be fun. And if I they live on a yeah in an apartment. That would be super cool to do. Right. I know. I I'm I'm itching to get shows back. I think we all are. What What's the one thing that you miss about just being in the live performance atmosphere besides playing because we all know you miss playing um god i'm i just miss going to shows i miss seeing my friends play you know um like i said before i'm part of this amazing community with you know a lot of awesome bands that are very supportive of one another um and we like i've totally bought into the click mentality that these are my homies. These are my, (laughs) these are, you know, and I don't get to see him flourish or do anything. And it's, it's pretty hard, you know, have you, Um, have you talked to them? All your, your friends, I know your bandmates, I know you probably have, but all of your other music friends, have you had an opportunity to just check in on them, chat with them, see what they've been up to? Yeah. Yeah. I I do quite often, like through Instagram, and um, we did the 20 song challenge, and I'll, you know, uh, did that horrible experience together. Um, So you experienced some some, uh, quarantining together, not quarantining, quarantining. Quarantining. Yeah. That's how we're getting through this, you know. That's what, kind of what this podcast, you know, stemmed out of is trying to quarantine with my 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 people, you know. Because you said your your way in was photography, and you make yeah. a lot of friends in the photography industry, and especially as a music photographer. Um, mm-hmm. And it just for me, it was like I, I started. I needed to scratch that itch. I needed to talk to my friends, and I, that was a tough thing. So. That's what this this whole thing spawned from, and being able to talk to you has been amazing because, like, I haven't been able to talk. To, I've talked to you a, a year and a half, almost a year, just over a year, yeah. and it just wanting to know what's been going on with you guys because I I actually had it on the books to cut you know on on my calendar when you guys had a show I was going to come shoot another show, and now I'm not going to get to do that so. Kind of bummed. Yeah, it's. I think everybody's right there with you on the bum factor. I know. I I miss live music, and it's just like I want to hear what people, you know, 
are missing about this whole not having live music. And I think that's the number one takeaway is missing the the interactions with the people around you, not just the music, because music yeah. drives us, but just the interactions, fans, yeah, like friends. Yeah, it is home. And, you know, it, I, I just, I appreciate it every time that I, I'm able to talk to you. And I really appreciate having you come on to the Powerhouse Lounge. Uh, it's been amazing talking to you, Corey. It's, it's just every time I get to talk to you and pick your brain and hear what, what's going on in your life, it just, it, it, it makes me happy to hear that you're still thriving, you're still surviving, and you're still writing music in this process and trying to make be- the best of the situation. Yeah, yeah, as <laughs> as best I can, really. Well, I mean, that's all we can do in this this uncertain time that we're in right now, musically. And and again, I I look forward to having you back on here. I we I could I'm looking at my 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 ticker. I'm like, man, the ticker's telling me to go home. It's time to get out of here. And yeah. and, and we're we're at just over an hour and, you know, 15 minutes in our conversation. And I feel I could have, have this conversation gone for another couple hours because musically this conversation's grown so organic in just the different areas. Um, I would love to have you back on in the future. Uh, would you love to come back on? Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I will have you back on in the future. Uh, thank you again for coming on the powerhouse lounge again, everybody. All my lounge listeners, this this conversation with Corey Voss has just been amazing. Her story, there's so much to it, and I know we just scratched the surface. So thank you again. My pleasure. So how can we find the hugs, and how can we find uh, anything that has to do with uh, you musically? Um, you can find us on Instagram, HugsPDX, or thehugsmusic.com. Uh you can find me on Instagram, which is Corey Marie. Um, I think Danny's planning on releasing a cover that we're going to be doing or finished up last winter um, of The Lion Sleeps Tonight. That sounds really fun. That should Keegan be a lot of fun. Cool, um, beats to it. and Yeah, I think that's coming out in June. So... That'll be out by the time this is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This will be out by the time this airs. And I, I, I really am excited for that. So cool. Uh, uh, Thank you. Uh, That I love letting people know where to find you guys because I love your music. I want to push it. I know, um, what on the, the radio show, we're going to be playing your music. Uh, you know, we're going to be playing a lot of hugs, a lot of Portland music in general, but you will be in heavy rotation. So you guys will get ah. some love. You guys will be getting some love from uh, the Powerhouse Lounge and and the, the group over at uh, 10 to late here at the Shady Pines Radio Network. So thank you. Super. <laughs> we will talk soon, Corey, and thank you again. Thank you.
a great interview, right? I enjoyed it, my lounge listeners. I enjoyed doing it because I've had so many interactions with Corey over the last couple of years that every time I get to talk to her, it's a special like occasion. And something crazy has happened or something is going on that is like phenomenal and the band's going and going forward. It's just so much fun to just get an opportunity to talk to a badass bass chick like her. I'm telling you, she kicks ass to the millionth degree. And I cannot wait to have her back into the lounge here in the future to hear some more adventures. I'll call them the adventures of Corey Voss from this point forward. Now that track you heard from the Hugs, though, uh, that's one of my favorite tracks off their last album. And in that track, you can definitely hear uh, the kick-ass bass tones of Corey. I mean, she they, they, she slaps so hard that the song is called Mile High Lady. Now, Mile High Lady is definitely a track that really caught my attention off their last album. It's one of those ones that it, it's just so catchy. And it's so poppy. It fits who they are. So, you know, I, I'm really excited to have you all here. Uh, I'm excited to have you a part of the Powerhouse Lounge. I'm, I, I'm just really, uh, really excited for this episode. It's a bunch of kick-ass females. And I could not do it without my sponsors. And I would be remiss if I did not talk about them. Before we get into our next interview, sorry, I had to take a swallow of my drink here. It's it's a, it's it's kind of warm, and uh, I have to have to make my wet my whistle, you know, as I talk to you folks. So, as we get going further, I'm going to I'm going to get into our sponsors. I got a little sidetracked with my uh, my soda, huh, and my my drink. So, anyways, yeah, so I'm not drinking my beer tonight. I'm kind of a uh, Taking a break from the beer for just a, a day or so, a week or so. Uh, it's it's just, I've had a lot going on, and uh, I'm having a soda tonight. But my unofficial beer sponsor still still remains, Barrel Mountain Brewery, where beer and adventure meet that wonderful No Bad Days IPA out of Battleground, Washington. Yes, yes, folks. And then we also have my technical producer, Austin Randall of Austin Randall Music. He does a lot of my, uh, my sound engineering. I send these podcasts once they're done to him. He makes them sound pretty, so I sound pretty to you folks when these air. Um, and you can tell over the course of time, they have gotten a lot, lot better. I also would be remiss if I didn't mention his wonderful uh, project he has going on called Rock Academy PDX. Now, Rock Academy PDX is a wonderful tool for those who are learning to play music. He teaches music, folks. He does it via Zoom, Skype, whatever you need right now since we are in lockdown. He is willing to make the quota and make the needs for you. He's a professional musician. He comes from a line, long line of musicians in his family, and the dude is phenomenal. Reach out to him at AustinRandallMusic at gmail.com or via Instagram. Um, that's, a, that's another way to get a hold of him. Or Facebook. Just reach out to him on Facebook. Find him on Facebook at Austin Randall. 
I, I'm telling you guys, he's phenomenal, someone you want to work with. I would recommend him to anybody else. Also, I would like to continue to uh, promote BHG uh, Northwest. You know, they, they are a wonderful, wonderful craft. BHG Crafts by, you know, by Crystal over there is wonderful. Look her up on Facebook. She does these wonderful summer games that people are eating up. I can't even get any. My kids can't get any because she is sold out. I'm telling you, folks, it's worth the, the money that you pay. Uh, check her out. BHG uh, Treasures, BHG Northwest on Facebook. I think it's BHG Northwest Treasures uh, on Facebook. I, I'm not too sure. I just, I just type it in the, the Facebook machine, and it does it all for me. Uh, you can find her. I'm telling you, she is selling things like hot cakes. She's got a lot of custom crafts. She can do custom work for you. And I would not be promoting it on my show if it wasn't worth promoting. You, you guys know that. You guys know how I roll. That's just me. I do it that way for that reason. I only want good stuff and good quality stuff on my shows. So let's get into the next, uh, the next interview. That next interview is Hannah Demo. We've all heard her before on The Late Shift with James Kemp on Monday nights right here at ShadyPinesRadio.com. Now you get to hear an exclusive conversation with her. I mean, I've had her her music playing on my show in previous weeks. If you haven't caught it, it's it's phenomenal music, and I I love her music. I'm actually going to give you a live track from her uh, coming up. So please, please enjoy it, and I look forward to you guys hearing her insights and what she does. So here's Hannah Demo. Ladies and gentlemen, man, I, I say this all the time, I think every episode, that I'm excited for the next artist to get a chance to come into the lounge and sit down and talk with me. Well, this next artist, I am telling you, this is one of the more heartfelt, well, they're all heartfelt, I should say, uh, not sound like an ass, uh, but th- this is a, a super heartfelt one to me because my next guest actually impressed my 14-year-old daughter, which is tough to do uh, with the style of music that she likes, and when I said I was interviewing my next guest, it's a testament to my 14-year-old, you know, just knowing music, saying, I'm excited for this next guest that you're, uh, you're interviewing. Uh, she's just a phenomenal guitar player, a phenomenal lyricist, and an overall badass in the music industry in Portland. She advocates for what she believes in within the industry. And, oh, man, I'm just so excited to have Hannah Demo in, in the Powerhouse Lounge. Welcome to the Lounge, Hannah. How are you? <laughs> Thank you so much for that intro. That's that was super sweet. I am I'm doing great. Uh, you know, sitting here being good at home during quarantine. <laughs> I, I know. I, I mean, I, I tell everybody by the time this airs, we might still be in quarantine. We might not. I don't know. Uh, I just try and keep it just like you know we're here and we're stuck with it for a little bit. And I guess that's kind of how we're all dealing with it. And then you're, I mean. A little backstory to this this podcast and this uh, this interview 
by the when we're talking right now, uh, we have a lot of stuff going on in the U.S. right now, and a lot of states are under curfews for different reasons. Uh, are you staying safe? I'm staying safe, yes. I am pretty much just staying home, trying to do what I can for our current situations from my house, trying to keep myself safe, trying to encourage my loved ones to stay safe the best that they can, and kind of just waiting for everything to calm down a bit, you know? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And especially in the the industry that we both work in, because we work in a very uh, people-driven industry. And for us, this is tough. I know for me it was tough. Uh, how did things affect you overall? It's definitely hard. I think that a lot of artists are a little bit more extroverted. And even the introverted ones, we still go out and we bear our soul on stage and we're putting ourselves out there all the time in front of people. So to have all that taken away so quickly is definitely a very difficult mental game, a more difficult mental game than you would think. Um, I won't, I mean, it's nice to have a break and it's nice to work on myself, but it's also, you know, stressful trying to figure out how to stay relevant in the music scene without being able to leave your house and trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills and all that when all your gigs get canceled and everything like that. But yeah, I can agree to that for sure. But it's no, I, I go ahead. It's definitely been a great time of just self-reflection. Um, I feel like I've been, I've been writing, but I haven't, done as many live streams and stuff like that as maybe I thought I was going to going into it because I've just been kind of taking my music back to uh, stage one, trying to decide what I actually want to do coming out of this because I feel like maybe I could do anything I want to. Yeah, and a lot of artists are looking at this as a time of kind of reflection and evolution and them as individuals or bands and i know the first time i met you you it was you and your guitar player if i remember right in the studio at a and at kabu in portland and i was just so taken back and blown away by you as a musician what are you thinking pathwise then because you're a phenomenal musician already thank you so much yeah i I have a few things that are on, you know, on the irons, I guess, that I'm trying to decide which direction I want to put a lot of energy into. What I don't know if I want to do and what I've been doing up until this point has been the full band rock and roll thing, um, which I love. And I have a huge, huge place in my heart for that. And basically classic rock and roll is what inspired me to really want to be a performer and a rock star, you know, as soon as I realized when I was younger that I could be, you know, Jimmy Page or Robert Plant, I was like, oh, well, then duh, of course I want to do that. Um, but I've been considering maybe doing a little bit more solo performance, a little bit more uh, focusing on ballad type finger style kind of trying to showcase my vocal capabilities because 
uh, I feel like the, the loud powerhouse vocals served me for a while. And I feel like kind of, I want to come back to why I'm doing this and who I am. And I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of pain and growth that I've gone through the past couple of years that I think needs to be said a little bit more quietly, if that makes sense. Oh no, definitely. It makes a whole lot of sense. And you know, from a manager's perspective, and this is the one thing I, I always tell artists, don't break up the band, but take a break. Because you have, like you said, your rock band, man, they are phenomenal. And yeah. I, I love your sound. Yeah. But take a break and do some self-reflection and make a couple solo albums, make a, you know, a couple acoustic albums. Because if that's what you're wanting to do, then do it. Because... You know, if you're not happy in music, as you know, then why are we doing what we love? So are there certain, like, pivotal points that have come to this to, to make you want to, you know, change paths? Or are you looking to just stay away from the whole rock scene because you've done it for so long? Or are there just different factors for different things? You know, there's, there's always a lot of factors when you decide to make a big change with your music. Um, I One of the factors is that being a, a struggling musician, you know, obviously I haven't broken through to where I can say that's the only thing I make money off of and all that. Um, it, it is hard to be accountable for four people and, and their, their incomes when you have a show and their scheduling, when you can't pay them as much as you need to for rehearsals to have them prioritize your time, stuff like that. Uh, that, because basically what I want is I want to be able to, you know, pay these people what they deserve to work with me. So I'm thinking about taking a step back to where um, everybody can, when, when we do perform, it's a very high quality show and everybody's really proud about what they walk away with in that department. But also, I don't think that uh, we're going to be taking a step back from the studio, probably just more in the live sense. That, that makes a lot of sense because... Yeah. It's a way to recharge your batteries. If you've been pushing and pushing, I always go to Metallica as a band because I grew up a metalhead and classic rock, and it took a long time to really get into some of the music I listen to now. Um, but they, they toured the Black Album for like two two years, almost three years it seemed, in the 90s. And it was just like you, you get burnt out because it seems like you're playing the same stuff over and over and it's repetitive. And it's the crowds aren't really into it, and it's not as fulfilling. Were you getting to a point where it wasn't fulfilling? Well, it it was it was not to say that it was like wasted effort or anything like that. I think that when I first moved here, which was a little over a couple of years ago now, I, I really hit the ground hard, and I made a name for myself. I think in in Portland. In the music scene, a lot of the music scene knows about me. Not all of it. There's so many different pockets of music scene that I haven't even gotten into. But I Dude, feel I have a sorry stat to cut you off. Sorry oh, to cut you off. Yeah. You hit pockets of the music scene. Portland, so you, you and I are talking uh, before we even came on to do the interview um, about California and where we're from. And it's totally different scenes in general. But Portland, it's like... I compare it to the boroughs of New York when it comes to music because there's so much of it. There's so much of it. It's crazy. And because you, you sound like you've been up here probably three, four years, a little less. 
I've been here about two and a half years, actually. So two like, and a half. I came yeah. here and I worked hard and I hit the ground, and I was just everywhere. I was at every open mic. I was at every party, kind of like, hey, this is who I am, and I want to collaborate, and I want to work, and I want to perform, and I just started throwing myself at anything that would stick, and then I ended up finding this close knit community that. I loved and I could call my home and my friends and my family and that we make music together. And it's just incredible. But, um, now that I've, you know, done that, I, I feel like I would say that I, I did do a live stream, um, during this quarantine and I played my album solo, which is never quite the same because my band, like you said, is they're, they're incredible. Um, and I, I didn't feel as inspired by the music anymore. And that was a first. And after that performance, everyone seemed to have a great time and I got a great response in the comments and all that. Um, but you know, as soon as it doesn't feel genuine anymore, then I, you know, I wanted to take a step back and say, okay, well, what do we need to do to make this genuine again? Um, basically when I wrote this album, I was feeling a lot of kind of anger, and a lot of um, resentment towards what's the situations that I came from coming out of California. And so I had a lot of, you know, gumption when I was performing this album. And I don't feel a lot of that anymore. I feel like the situation in itself was really good and a great learning experience. And I'm really happy with the doors that it's opened up for me. And that's not to say that I'm not going to perform that music anymore. Um, I just need to do a little bit of self-reflection to figure out how I'm going to make it genuine again. But there's a lot of new opportunities for things that have happened since I've been here. There's a lot of uh, pain and growth that has come from myself now, learning who I am here um, kind of by myself once I broke away from my safety net in California just learning how to be. And, and I think it's a really beautiful process and I'm excited to, you know, keep writing about it and release something heartfelt, like you said. Right, right. No. And that, that's the most important thing. Cause I know when I moved up here from California, um, I hit the ground running myself very hard and I went hard for my first two and a half years. And I had to take a step back for about four or five months and, reflect on where I wanted to go and what direction I wanted to head. And I think that seems like the path when anybody who transplants up here, because Portland is a very different scene. It's different than any scene that I've ever been a part of. Yeah. And, and I've realized that Portland is one of those make or break cities. Have you found that? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's there's a lot of good and bad aspects to you know anywhere you're gonna go. Um, I thought that this was a really great place for people who maybe needed to be caught, people who were falling or were hurt and needed to be caught and encouraged. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of really kind people here, and of course there's people that are you know whatever stuck ups you know, just like anywhere else. But I feel like the majority of people here are kind and they, they have time for you and they have the patience to hear you and to see you and care about you, which is a really cool thing, which did great for me when I got here, because that's what I never got in California. 
at least who I was working with, I, I wanted somebody to see me and hear me and me, not just, uh, you're a product. And if we package you right, we can make some money off of you. Like people here are very genuine and for the most part, and I appreciate that. Um, I feel like that is, uh, something that you can get stuck in and it could make you a little stagnant. And I feel like maybe I found that for a moment, I found myself getting really comfortable, but like, oh, people here are nice to me and they like me and this feels really nice and warm and I could stay right here forever, you know? But then I had to be like, no, you know, I, I'm the type of person that constantly wants to push and reach that next level. So even if something's nice and warm and fuzzy, eventually I'm gonna want to get into that hotter water again and challenge myself and grow. So- um, No, I couldn't I agree more. Yeah, I don't necessarily think I'm going to leave Portland soon, uh, but I definitely want to try some new stuff while I'm here, you know? No, I that that's kind of where I was. I came up here as a photographer, and it's just like I came, but my, my experience was different. I did get burned, and I did get hurt right away as a photographer oh. because as a photographer, it's a little bit easier to to burn a photographer than it is another musician, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that helped me stay resilient. And I think that was also part of the reason why I had to take a break because I was going hard and I didn't feel appreciated. But when I was picked up, like you said, like you said earlier, it's like a safety net. It's like you had to go without your safety net and you're, it's like you come to get caught. I started to fall again as where I was at before. In some cases I'd fall and fall and fall and it would be like, okay, well you're on your own. But there were so good people, like you said, wherever you're at. But here it was like I started to fall, and people saw that, and they're like, "All right, no, this isn't going to happen. We're going to push you forward." Has cool. that has that propelled you? Is that that push forward? Is that like you said that that generosity of some artists and the kindness? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, it's it's like night and day than what I was used to when I first moved here, and people were kind and they, and they wanted to hear my music when I said I was a musician uh, and they weren't just saying it like they were genuine. Uh, I felt that. And, and I have such an incredible support system of friends, like, you know, Camille and Ashley, uh, complimentary colors. I met them almost They're great. right when I moved here and Camille was like, we're going to be best friends. I was like, um, what do you want from me? <laughs> But she just genuinely wanted to be my friend and she's helped me so much. Um, my friend Kingsley, she's helped me so, so much. Um, just kind of pushing me forward when I get stuck saying, Hey, you're Hannah Demo. You can do this. You know, like just stuff that I wouldn't expect, like people in my past who have said they were my friend, but were always kind of secretly hoping you were going to fall that kind of stuff where you kind of knew that. I don't feel that here as much and I really appreciate it. And it's, I think what made me feel so confident to just keep going and going and going and not stopping. Right. No, I can totally relate to that and totally understand that. And it's, it's the whole mentality of you're handed demo. It's almost kind of, and I don't curse very much on the podcast. So you're bringing out a curse in me. Cause I was sitting here <laughs> thinking about it. Uh, you know, it's remembering who the fuck you are and where the fuck you came from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because at the at the end of the day, we we've all been hurt and like same thing with me. 
people genu- genuinely didn't care about my work in California. I had a few people who, who cared, but it's just like, oh yeah, you know, it, it's like, oh, it's good. I got up here and people were like, oh yeah, that's, let's see more. Let's, let's do more. It was always like they wanted to push you to be better. And I found, like you said, you you make those friends, and I I love Camille and Ashley. They're going to be um, on an episode coming up here in the future, and I'm so excited to have them on the show. They're they're just a fun couple to talk to. Yeah. Um, but I I I had my uh my best friend pretty much. I met him th- at at a birthday party, another musician's birthday party. And we got to talk in music. And it just ended up being, I fell into being his personal photographer and a part of his team. And it was on the ground running, and that was what it was. And I I found that was really refreshing as opposed to what I was dealing with down in California for the most part. It was nice to have that. Like, did you struggle with that when you first got here? Struggle with... With, like, the, the people being so accepting. Because, like you said with uh, Camille and Ashley, it's like, what do you want from me? <laughs> like, like, like that's how I felt. But, like, did you struggle with the concept of people just wanted you to be and be you? Uh, it, a little bit. It definitely took me a minute to get used to. Um, I, I wasn't. Basically, when I moved here, that's what I wanted, right? I wanted people to accept me. But I had been kind of lied to, you know, in the past. So, like, my album, Your Love It Lies, is basically about, you know, I was working on music with these people. I thought they had my best interests at heart. When it came down to it, like, they didn't. And I was really hurt because I was a little naive when that relationship started. And I thought that we were friends. And when it came down to it, we weren't, we were business partners and they had the better end of the deal. So I, you know, I was a little hurt. And so, when I moved here, I was like, I want people to accept me. They started to accept me, but I was like, I always had my guard up for a really long time. It took me a while to put my guard down, even though I did accept their help. And I'm like, okay, yeah, help me out. But I was like, really like, uh, almost to a point where I wanted to like get a lawyer involved in every deal when it was like, you know, not always necessary to get, you know, your lawyer to sign a contract with you working together for something really small, maybe in the future it would be, but not right now. And like, so I let that go after I realized that a lot of these people were here for me and I still do have those walls up, but I, uh, I feel like I can tell when people are, being genuine with me. I'm older right. now. And I say that in my song, you know, I say, you know, I, I can see it in your eyes that you're lying to me now. I'm older. I'm wiser now. Um, so I, I can kind of tell up front when I'm like, someone's kind of, you know, bullshitting me or whatever. <laughs> right. Oh, feel free to, to, if, if you need to let it go, let it go. Cause I, I always tell the artist that this is a explicit content, uh, a podcast, though I may not curse as often. Um, if you if you feel it needs to be said, say it, man. Because I agree. Because I I I, I, I was listening to your album uh, the other day, and 
Your Love It Lies, it's such a fitting title for for just what you've gone through. And I think for what a lot of artists go through, because it is that that hurt, that lie. You don't you want to get a lawyer involved, but you're not sure if you should. It's just it builds upon itself at the end of the day. Right. And and coming up here, I like you said, it, it was just that whole feeling accepted. Yeah, your walls are still up. However, uh, it, you're trying to still prove yourself. Right. So, have you? Do you feel that your music has proven who you are? Not not Hannah Demo herself, but your music. I would say. And really calling myself out is that uh, I would say no, not yet. Um, I would say that Your Love It Lies was a really good testament to what happened to me and how I felt about it. And honestly, it's kind of like my freshman project in a sense. I mean, I've been singing since I was born. My mom's a voice teacher. My whole family's musical. I was raised in music. I went to school for music. But I didn't really start taking my own music seriously and performing and writing until after college. And, uh, I released an album in, in LA that got taken down when I left that company. And so this was kind of my first project. And for being my first project, I'm, I'm proud of it. I am, but I don't feel like it's very, very personal to me. Um, I feel like it's it's about basically, like I said, my experience and how I felt about it, which was pretty pretty dang mad, you know. <laughs> like, um, and so that was fun. It was fun to get up on stage and rock out and throw my head back and hit those high notes, and so much fun, so so much fun. I think the other reason why it was not super super personal to me is because I had a lot of collaborators. Uh, my band and I wrote a lot of that together. Um, so a lot of input from different places, which I love collaborating. I really do. This next stage that I'm going to take, I really want to try and write most of it myself. And I might get, uh, like a, a collaborator to proofread or proof edit with me final versions, but I really want it to come from my heart and I really want to dig deep and see, you know, when I'm co-writing with Kingsley, we'll, I'll say a line and she'll be like, okay, great. Now uh, dig deeper and what do you actually mean when you say that? And I really love that because she doesn't let me get away with surface level things. And that's what I'm trying to remove from myself in this time of self-reflection. Stop going for the easy answer that puts a shield up and it's, passes off as a perfectly fine answer and get to who you really are. What did you actually mean when you said you were fine? You know, you're not fine. So what do we, actually right. mean? you know, stuff like that. And, and not only doing that in my music, but in my personal everyday relationships, spending more time on making them quality and honest, because I'm not being dishonest by giving the easy answer, but I'm not being honest with the people that deserve my honesty about who I am and where I'm at, you know? No, totally agree. And that's perfect. And I, I was going to ask, because the very last song is called Leaving California. 
and you know it's such a, it's a such a cool track in general but did you do that on purpose because it's like you're leaving everything behind and this is like you're owed to that because you said there's a lot of collaborators on it and there's a couple questions within this whole idea here um did you purposely number one make that that your very last song on the album kind of like your ode to california saying look this is every song on this track is on this i mean this album is you know stuff that was built built and pent up from there now i'm leaving this in the past and we're moving forward kind of mm-hmm. like you're doing as a progression and then secondly how do you how do you write something that that is kind of like an ode saying goodbye and push forward the way you are right yeah that's that's a, a really cool point um leaving california was the point of the album in a way it was almost the album title but i thought it was a little too on the nose and basically the reason i left california is because of you know the friendships that were broken through lies and so we went with your love it lies cuz i thought it was a little bit more creative i liked the way it looked aesthetically but leaving california i wrote almost entirely by myself i wrote that song it was the first song on the album that i wrote um actually <laughs> and the only thing i did was i had my guitar player and the producer of the album at the time, um, L, kind of proofread and help me arrange it. But I had already written the lyrics and I said, this is my idea. This is what I want. This is my, I already had kind of the guitar part, that uh, guitar lip riff at the beginning. I already had that and everything. So that one was a really personal place that I think did come from the heart. But, um, again, I think I could go deeper, you know, and I will go deeper. It just won't be necessarily about California. It'll be about, you know, where I'm going next, you know? Right. No, that's amazing. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about your love at lies because I I met you in the thrust of this album really. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to push forward. Now, the very first time I met you was for the single of this record, um, yes means yes, at KBU, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and it was really funny to me because I had I've I heard about you guys. You were actually there, uh, coincidentally, with uh, complimentary colors. Yep. And and I walk in the room, and you guys are talking to was it was it Brent? It was Sean Sean Stewart, if I remember right. Yes. Yeah. And I walk in the room and he goes, ah, you know, James, James Kemp. And I'm like, yeah. And then I mentioned who I was and who I worked for. And you guys were like, wait, are you Vortex James? And I go, yeah. I like, we know you. I don't know how my name got around. I had talked, I, I had talked to complimentary colors one other time. And it was to try and book them for something that I was trying to do in relief for the car fires. Um, but 
how did you find out about who I was? Because I would have never known who you were had I not walked into the studio with my daughter, like I said, that night. It's really cool how I meet artists and how like stories come about. So I want to get it from your perspective. Um, honestly, I think it was just through word of mouth, uh, Facebook, Portland music community on Facebook, uh, vortex. Obviously I'm always picking up a copy of that. Just seeing your name around everywhere, uh, seeing you taking photos and seeing you seeing your photos in the magazine, seeing you on Facebook, seeing you on Instagram and everything. Uh, I just, I take note of that kind of stuff because I'm, especially when I was still, that was my first single that I really released. I take note of, of people who show up a lot and, uh, and do good work. <laughs> you know, I keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. So I uh, definitely, I'm pretty sure that's, that's basically it. I mean, you, you throwing yourself out there. Right. Well, and for me, it was like, that was, again, picking people up, right? That was my... Right. I, it's not like I hadn't experienced that before, but that was the first time that, like, wow, you are a real person. We thought you were just a myth. We see your work. You know, it wasn't just you who said that. That was, you know, Ashley and Camille as well. They're like, you, we, we knew you existed, but we didn't know you existed. Right. And for me, that was that was really cool to walk in there and experience that. And then I got taken back because had I heard the name Hannah Demo, yes. Had I heard her music, no. Because I'm at so many shows at so many different times and so many places. As you know how the music world is, it's hard to just place people and faces and music. Right. And then you then you played Yes Means Yes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, where the heck have I been? What? fueled that song because i i've heard the story before but i want my listeners to hear this story because it was su it's such a powerful song and like i said you're in the throes of that album you're pissed off at california and then you have this song that comes out yeah and it just blows my mind it's mind melding yeah it's a, it's a great song that uh that song so that night i had my not my guitar player, but my bass player there. He was playing a mini acoustic bass, so it might have looked That's like a guitar. Right. Yes. Uh, we were we were actually a couple at the time. Uh, Damien Hayes. He's yes, Damien Hayes. Great songwriter, uh, great lyricist. Um, we we actually moved here to uh, to Portland together. So he wrote that song actually while we were still like right before we moved here basically he was just he would watch you know me and my girlfriends go out around the bars and stuff and just be bothered all the time and watch his friends just be bothered all the time by guys that just can't catch a hint and even and and I, I always say this usually before I start the song is that consents for everybody it's not just for women it does happen to women a lot but also even seeing it in the male community, like women who are hanging all over guys when they've obviously said they're not interested or, you know, and, you know, regardless of sexual preference, you know, men uh, approaching men and they've obviously made it a point that they're not interested, but people don't stop and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and he, he had just kind of got fed up with it. 
And it was right in the throes of the Me Too movement, which is still a very powerful movement right now, but when that had first come out. Um, so he actually wrote those lyrics and had a little bit of a tune in mind and gave it to me. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to write this, this, uh, these melodies for this chorus or for the verses. He had a chorus in mind. And I basically arranged it and put the melody and the chords to it. And it became just something that when I would play it at open mics, when I had first written it, people would just yell during the chorus, like over me while I'm singing, just, yes, like it was wild. So I was like, apparently people like the song. I suppose I should release it first. <laughs> you know, right. What right. They want, right. <laughs> it's all about peace in our people. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it was crazy because, I remember sitting, I was in the studio when you played that. I was sitting in the corner. Uh, and my daughter, I brought her in there because she, she, that was her first time in the studio. And she had never been there. And she goes, Dad, I'm afraid. I go, trust me, this is the best place for you right now. You're in a, a good place. And you played that song. And then on the way home, we played it another two times. Oh, nice. Because... Not only did I love it, but she, it, it, she's, she was, what, 12, almost 13 at the time. She was about to turn 13. And it, it related to her in, in a different way because she didn't quite understand what it was about until I explained it. And then it's like, okay, now I get a little bit further but just the tune, the power, the fact that it was a female singing this song with some empowerment behind it, that that's inspiring. So, And then you've had a lasting impression on her since. Do you get that a lot just from that song from other people? I mean, you're hearing it about a 14-year-old kid who doesn't even know what it meant, but are you getting that, like you said, people are, you know, shouting it and you had to release it. But are you getting like the the fact that it inspired people from other people? Yeah, yeah, it, I really do. And I, I did, especially when it first came out. Um, people just telling me uh, that they're grateful for, for me for saying it. Uh, I know that a lot of people are still and were at the time writing music like that to be like, no, we're, we're done being quiet and being like, oh, boys will be boys. Like, no, boys are going to be held accountable because we're kind of tired of it. Like, when we say no, it means no, you know, and, and we don't say, if we don't say yes, then that's that's still a no, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, and you, you hit the nail on the head that it's not just males and females, you know, opposite sex. It's same sex. Yeah. Did you have, did you guys write that? and sing that and put that in mind or was that just something that came along with it? No, originally I, I had said, and I think on the recording, I say, I say she and her a lot at the time because the me too movement had just come out. I had just moved here to Portland and mind you where I'm from in Bakersfield. It's, um, it's less progressive over there. So it's, it's, less, you see a lot less of the LGBTQ community. I know that they are there and I have friends in that community there, but you just see less of it. And so when I moved here, 
I realized that, oh, this is like a much bigger problem than we thought. It's not just women. It's just that people don't know how to act and they need to learn how to act. Like it's just not anymore. Um, and so now when I perform the song, I actually go through, um, uh, quite a few genders. I say, I refer to myself, I refer to her, I refer to him and I refer to they. And I do know that there are uh, more genders, but I feel like I, I say the, the line four times. So I feel like I cover a lot of bases there in order to kind of make more people be able to relate to it and be like, oh, she said him, like she's getting it. You know, I, I want people to know that they're able to say no, even though they're a man, you know, or even though they are non-binary, they, they're, they can say no. It's not just for women to have the Me Too movement, you know, I, that that's a specific movement that is focused around women, but everyone's allowed to say no. <laughs> no, that's a great point. I mean, it, it, it's such a linear term these days to say no. And, you know, I, I we all grew up in the era of, oh, you're picked on as a as a male, I know, for even that thought coming across your mind. Uh, and, and it's such an amazing song because it empowers men, too, like you said. Now, do you want to keep empowering the all the sexes through your music like you have? Definitely. I do. And moving here, I've been um, really enlightened to what all the different genders, non-genders are about. And there's so much in that community and it's so diverse. And honestly, I think that it's just freaking beautiful how these people who maybe their whole lives have felt uh, a little off key or out of balance because they were given these labels that they didn't really understand or feel like they fell into. And they're either able to now feel comfortable shedding labels altogether or find a label that feels good, that makes them feel empowered when they walk down the street. Like, oh, I finally, somebody finally said it and I, it clicked. That's, that's me. That's my experience. That's my whole experience. And now I can walk down the street knowing that I'm not the only one. So I, I really think it's beautiful. Uh, everything I've been learning since I've moved here where it's more open about that whole community and all the different sexes, all the different genders, non-genders, and all the different sexual preferences, just people in, in general just embracing who they are and what they like. I think it's really cool. And, you know, Portland is good for that. You know, and we're going back to earlier, and I want I want to touch on it, like how they accept you for who you are and what you are and what you choose. And I think it falls into the whole keep Portland weird, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, keep Portland weird because it's it's good to be weird. Like everything, everybody's weird. We're all weird. We all have a thing about us that is kind of weird, kind of kitschy. You know, and, and when you learn to embrace those weird parts of you, then, you know, the second half of your life begins. <laughs> you get to just live your life without feeling like you're supposed to wear a suit that doesn't quite fit you, you know? So it, I, have, I have a funny question on both sides of that. 
how do you handle it if you've been weird your whole life, yet you were trying to hide who you were? You're trying to hide who you were. Well, well why? Well, well, well because, because you've accepted who you, so you, you said, you know, trying to accept the weird, right? Mm-hmm. So you've accepted the weird, but you don't know how to show it. It's kind of like, uh, I liken it to the idea of someone who hasn't quite come out yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because- um, you know, it's a really tricky place because a lot of people who maybe haven't come out yet, um, I know a lot of times it can be with the relationships that they have in their life and if they value those relationships and if they might change over their own comfortability with living their life the way they want to come out, you know, like if somebody is wanting to come out as, you know, a pansexual who has been before, you know, kind of labeled as cis their whole life, but they have a family that's maybe has a religious background and, they're like, well, maybe my family will accept me, but what if they don't? Is it worth me losing my relationship with my family for me, you know, in order for me to come out and live my life the way I want to? And I think that there gets to a point where a lot of, for a long time, it's like, nope, it's not worth it. I'm going to keep my family right where they're at. And eventually the, it kind of shifts over into a, I can't stand not being myself anymore and they're just going to have to figure it out. And I'm going to try to approach this with as much love as I can and hope that they come around. You know, it, I feel like eventually your weirdness will kind of overtake you. And, and I feel like saying that, you know, we're, I feel like we're kind of putting being a, uh, you know, in the LGBTQ community uh, in a box as weird. I don't think it's weird. I think everybody's kind of weird in their own way, but, you know, letting yourself be yourself and whatever that means. And no, no matter what that means, no matter whose feelings you may hurt, because it's your life and it's your sexuality and it's your opinions. And ultimately nobody else is allowed to have an opinion on that. It's not their business. They can have I, an opinion on that, but it's not really their business, you know? I, I, I wasn't trying to box anybody in by in yeah. no means because yeah. I, I, I talk about the weird kid in high school or the, the kid who loves wrestling but can't uh, describe it or say anything about it because they're going to be made fun of. Right, um, right. I was deemed a weird kid because I was a drama kid. I liked to write poetry. And... <laughs> And I was, it took me, gosh, 20-something years to release my first first book because of something like that. But it wasn't until I got involved in history that I felt kind of in the thoughts I was having and what I was writing. And I think music allows us to express that inner weird, I think, is what I was trying to get at. Right, right. And it really does. Art, art has a really great way of doing that. And... And I think that a lot of people have, you know, maybe even as an artist have maybe unsupportive families. They're like, hey, why don't you get a real job? You're like, well, a real job makes me want to kill myself. So I don't want to do that, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I I mean, I've definitely related with a lot of artists on that. They're like, yeah, I had a desk job and it was the most depressing years of my life. And now I just 
eat top ramen and I play music, you know, and I'm much happier, not a lot, lot happier, but much happier than I was. then. <laughs> so uh, I feel like I'm kind of in a place like that. Like I had a job, a desk job in California for a long time. And, oh, it was really hard. It was hard. I didn't even play music for a few years. I just kind of filed paperwork and made phone calls. And then all of a sudden I started playing music again. And I was like, this is wild. And I quit my job, <laughs> got like a hostess job at a restaurant and just played music. And, and I was happier. I was way poorer, but I was definitely happier, you know? <laughs> well, no, I, I do. I do know. Cause, uh, I came to a point in my life where I was working normal jobs and I, I'm a disabled veteran as well. Not a lot of people. I don't, I disclose that. I haven't even really talked about it even on the podcast, even I think to this point. Um, but I'm a disabled veteran and the, my podcast is my outlet really. But had I continued on the path I was on, I wouldn't be a happy person. I, I would be actually really unhappy but I find myself really happy slaving behind a hot mic and having a camera in my hand. Uh, am I surviving? Yes. However, it, it's <laughs> like I'm, my happiness is much more than a paycheck. Right, exactly. And, you know, and then for some people, their happiness is that job. Like they are very you know, business-minded people, organized people that thrive in environments like that. And that's wonderful for them. You know, everybody kind of has their own niche and we need people like that too. Otherwise we don't have businesses that need people that have people like that working in them. Um, but you know, God bless my mother, thing. your mother. I sorry. Yeah. She, she's one of those people that, yeah that works like 80 hours a week and puts her time in and loves what she does. Yeah. And that's amazing. It's just, it's so hard to, to wrap my head around that idea. And like you said, we need people like that. Those are the salt of the earth people that make this world go around, but we need people like us too. Yeah, because if you don't have the artists as well, then, you know, people get really sad and angry. And and we, we need art. We need art to... We, we let our sadness be other people's happiness. Yeah, and, and honestly, everything has an aspect of creativity to it, even, you know, paperwork and businesses. When you're building a business, you have to be creative. And I feel like what art does in any form is it pushes the boundaries of creativity and you can apply that to anything or people will see that, be inspired by it and go make a multimillion dollar company because they were inspired by art, by creativity, you know? Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, uh, it, it, it's such like art is such a cyclical, cyclical thing it, it makes the world go around it's like a it's like a bicycle wheel that just keeps going and going because it gives to every uh life stream right so and it asks for so little in return you know <laughs> right now speaking of giving to every live stream in your art what is next for you now that you've kind of put out there that you want to do something different have you kind of determine that do you have a path do you have a direction have you started writing i mean 
there's more to Hannah Demo than than just this last album. Um, yeah. I I have a few things that are kind of milling around in my workspace and in my brain a lot, <laughs> since I have a lot of time to think right now. Um, there is a project that I've been working on that's super exciting, and I've been working on it since before, you know, the world ended and all that. <laughs> and that's uh, called Demo in the Fringe, and it's basically a traditional blue-eyed soul, uh, you know, blues rock album, like EP. I think it's going to be like five songs. Um, it's, it's a very, it's kind of similar to what I released as far as your love, it lies only less pop, less mainstream, and just very traditional blues rock, uh, very traditional soul, like a ballad that sounds like something from, you know, the fifties and, and stuff like that. Um, so I'm really I'm excited about that. That's kind of going to be and like I said I'm not releasing that under my name. That's going to be a separate project altogether. As far as Hannah Demo, I am going to do two things, I think. I'm going to and I've already started writing a very kind of more sincere, heartfelt, m- much more acoustic fingerstyle ballad type uh album that kind of mainly just showcases my vocals and also talks about more sincere and difficult topics as far as like loving yourself. I have a song called the fire that soothes that I've been working on and it basically, I wrote it. I started writing it for myself because I was having a really hard time with depression and anxiety, uh, like I think a lot of people do and a lot of artists do, um, just never feeling good enough, never feeling like you're doing enough. And just trying to, I've tried to write this song about just being nice to yourself, being kind to yourself, looking at how far you've come, looking, you know, taking one step at a time, um, realizing that even though right now it might be really shitty, um, eventually you're going to look back on this time, on this period of fire as the time where you were soothed and you grew the most. And you're going to look back on it with endearment. And basically it was like a, I'm kind of getting emotional just talking about it. It always makes me cry, which is why I don't perform it very often yet. Um, but it's basically just a hope and like a, a wish for the future, Hannah, that I might not be happy right now, but I think I'm going to be happy. This too shall pass. I've already done a lot. I've already come a a long way and I'm going to be happy again because I've been happy before. And, um, it also kind of morphed into writing, uh, for my friends who I saw going through the same feelings. So I started writing it about myself, started writing it about experiences I've seen my friends go through And sometimes when I would perform it, I would, if I had a friend in the audience that I knew was going through a hard time, I would say, this this is for you tonight. Or when I was having a hard time, I would even tell the audience, this is for me tonight. (laughs) You know, and it's for you when you need it, kind of. Um, So that's that's one direction I'm going to go. 
uh, more acoustic, softer, heartfelt, really what's been going on inside of me lately. Um, and I also think I want to go on the flip side. I've been dabbling with some very straightforward, like pop tracks, kind of like mainstream radio, um, like Dua Lipa, Alessia Cara, that kind of stuff. Uh, I love that kind of music. It's what I listen to when I feel good. It's what I listen to when I want to feel happy and dance around my room and clean. Um, and I don't know a lot about the background of making a pop track. I just know I know how to sing and play guitar. So I kind of want to challenge myself because I love that music so much and it makes me feel so happy and I want to be happy right now uh, with trying to write some stuff like that and working with a producer um, who I haven't selected yet in, in creating some tracks like that. And I basically just want to see if people like it, any of those avenues that I'm taking. And I've, I'm taking so many different avenues. I just talked about three different, drastically different genres of music that I'm trying to release right now. But um, that's the beauty of music is I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I love all of it. I, I'm classically trained, and I'm inspired by all different avenues of music. And it really just depends on the day of what I'm listening to. So um, I just kind of want to make it all and see what people like, see what I like. Man, some powerful stuff right there. Because I could hear the emotion in your voice. That that's truly when you know it's just like you wanna you wanna have a better version of you. You wanna give people a better version of themselves. Yeah. And that's what music is there for. And that's such a cool trait to have. And I, I so look forward to whatever you do because I know your heart's gonna be in it. Mm-hmm. it, it it's in it to change music for for the better and you want people to feel that and you know i i think you're on the right path because for being in the scene that you're in for two and a half years you've already made an impact a name for yourself and you know if you release something under a surname or you release it under a pen name, whatever name you choose. It's going to be good because you're, you want the music to sound a specific way that's going to reach people. Is that always been a part of who you are? Because you said you're classically trained. So being classically trained, I've realized because I've been classically trained in a couple different art forms it's about giving back. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole idea is to move your audience. Um, I think that sometimes, I think that sometimes being classically trained occasionally can take away from that experience. If you let it, not always, there's uh, so many brilliant classical artists, even modern classical artists but I know that, you know, people who might be studying Bach or Mozart, stuff like that, you're playing the notes perfectly. But if you're not in the flow of the music and in the flow of the creativity of it, 
you're not going to move anybody in the audience. So it's less about how well you play the music and more about how much you are the music. And I know that kind of sounds kind of woo and weird, but it's a, it's a very real thing. I think a lot of artists experience when they tap into the magic. And a lot of times when you tap into the magic of the vein of creativity or whatever you want to call it, um, it's, you only tap in for a moment, but that moment is what gets you hooked. And I think that's what people who are completely in love and engulfed in music are always going for, kind of like chasing that dragon. We were like, we felt it and we know it's real and I'm still hitting that wrong note and I'm frustrated, but I know that that vein is there and I can get there again. And it's less about trying really hard and more about um, letting go. <laughs> that's that mr miyagi shit right there it really is it really is it's it's wild it's wild i play the, my best shows when i'm not trying and i teach music as well right now and i will constantly be telling my students these are the things that you have to keep in mind you know you I, my voice students I'm like you have to stand this way you have to breathe from this position you have to activate these muscles you have to hold your head in this position you have to hold your mouth in this position and you also have to remember not to think too hard about any of those things while you're singing or else it will mess you all up <laughs> no, no it, so I, I i did some acting and exactly it's like <laughs> you use your diaphragm you, you speak from here my, my wife wonders why, well I'm going deaf from all the music I listen to. Um, the other half is I was classically trained on how to use my diaphragm. Right. And as an artist, as a musician, that's what you use the most. And you, I can I can just see you telling kids, diaphragm, use more of your diaphragm. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I honestly have gotten away from even the terminology so much as the diaphragm because I've just done a lot of studies where I'll just, uh, I'll just say to them, that stomach needs to shoot back. <laughs> and, and it's hard to teach children uh, voice because it's hard to teach you something that's inside of you. It's a little bit easier to teach something outside of you. So a lot of times I'll recommend that a child, unless voice is their thing and that's exactly what they want, that they start with a piano or keyboard, or, or sorry, a keyboard or um, guitar so that, they can get a sense of music and kind of understand it with something external to them. Cause that's a little bit easier to understand than something that is you. No, definitely. You know? um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Even with my older students, uh, I'm constantly reminding them, I'll be like, Hey, this time you did this one thing I asked but then when you were focusing on that thing so much, you forgot about this thing. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is so hard. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why we just do it over and over and over and over. Little muscle memory for you. <laughs> uh, it's so awesome to hear that you're, you're teaching, too. So speaking of teaching kids, have you t done any Zoom lessons? Are you doing any of that stuff with the, with the world? ending the way it has? Yeah, that was my main source of income during quarantine because I, I was working at a music shop and I was teaching on the side and then I got laid off from the music shop and 
you know, unemployment wasn't answering or coming in, you know, and I, that was the case for everyone. And so I just taught and taught and taught over zoom and it was complicated and it took a lot of shifting of computers and lights and whiteboards and how do I make it mirrored? (laughs) It was definitely a learning experience. Um, I'm still doing it obviously because we're still in quarantine right now. Um, but I'm very much so looking forward to the in-person lessons. I don't think that it's impossible to teach over Zoom. And I actually, anything that challenges me, though it may be frustrating, I, I do enjoy because I enjoy having to figure something new out. Um, but it definitely is easier to explain body posture and which muscles to activate when I can be right there in front of you and there's not a blurry barrier or like I, I always, you know, ask for permission or consent from my clients. But a lot of times if I can like touch them in a certain way and like show them which muscles to activate, like that is a game changer. Like it can make the understanding go from zero to a hundred just from me being like, when you push on your stomach like this, this happens. Oh, wow. Okay. Now I get it. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And with the guitar, um, like the technique a lot of times I would just uh, pull on the wrist a bit to extend it and see this is the difference, you know, or is I'm just kind of showing them. I'm like, look at how my wrist is moving over the, do this. And they're like, I don't really understand. <laughs> so uh, I'm definitely looking forward to teaching in person again. It's, it's definitely a lot more fun and a lot more fulfilling. Um, but I'm grateful that I can still teach and make money over my computer no definitely that that is really cool i mean i i'm not a fan of zoom personally um in this whole thing i've had to do a lot of classroom stuff for my kids who are still in school um there's because they're partially homeschooled and uh you know they've been doing a little bit of school work we have a zoom meeting like once a week and with a counselor and oh my gosh I think I I would rather not do anything Zoom ever again because <laughs> it's it's just a learning curve I guess and musically I could really see how that's challenging because you are right or vocal lessons because it is good to be hands on and be able to teach these kids is that something that you're you're definitely like I can hear it in your voice that you're missing that or is that kind of like with your music in the crowd are you missing like the crowd yet are you happy to not constantly have people all eyes on you no I love the crowd that's that's kind of what I live for I I just I want to be in front of people if there's a microphone and I can sing on it you know I'm going to Uh, but I I that's kind of why I haven't really live streamed a ton. I, when we first went into quarantine, I'm like, Oh, this is fine. I can just live stream every week. It's going to be fine. And then I did a few live streams and I was like, this is the most awkward, uncomfortable, weirdest thing. And I miss my band. (laughs) And it's so weird to play to your empty room and your cats judging you. And you're like, Hey, that was my song. And, um, you're looking and people are kind of commenting, but it's like lagged. So you're not really sure if they're there or not. And then you're like, okay, um, I guess I'm going to start another one now. (laughs) 
Um, I mean, I'm grateful that we, I, I am, I, I try to be as grateful as I can. Cause you know, back in, you know, a few years ago, this wouldn't be an option. We could live stream our, if we had to go in quarantine, we would just be done performing. So, um, I'm grateful that we have the opportunity. I'm really proud of the live streams that we've done. People have told me that they've brought them joy being stuck in their home, um, people have tipped me, which I'm super grateful for. Uh, but it's not the same as feeding off the energy of the crowd. It's it's being on stage in front of a crowd is like it's like a drug. It's 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 incredible, and it's it's you can't replicate it really by sitting at home in front of a computer. No, and I can agree to that. I've watched a few live streams, and the ones I have watched, they're awesome. I, I do like them. However, you, you can't replicate being in the crowd and doing all of that. Yeah. And dancing do, and laughing with your friends and cheers in. And, you know, it's just good. <laughs> it, it, it is good. How do you foresee concerts for going in the future if we do get to go back to them anytime soon? Oh, I don't know. Um I mean, I assume they're going to be, like, very small and very limited, which will still be awkward, you know, because it's like I've seen a couple pictures of, like, uh, my friends performing on Instagram in, like, this huge hall, but there's, like, ten chairs, like, spaced six feet apart and, like, ten people sitting in the chairs you're like, okay, that's a little better, but still super awkward, right? There's like 10 of you, like, <laughs> um, right? No, I think it's going to be a really long time before things can go back to normal. Um, so I'm trying not to think too hard about it because if you think too hard about it, then, then the existential dread sets in and you get the anxiety and you're like, everything's going to die. And you know, it's bad. It's bad. So don't think too hard about it. Just be patient. Um, you know, be, be kind to yourself and uh, a day at a time is really the only way to go about a situation like this. Like I haven't been on Facebook in a week. Um, and normally I would be the type of person that would post once a day or uh, every other day. Because as a musician, you know, I want to be like, hey, I'm doing this. Hey, I'm doing that. Um, but I can't. It's it's a really negative environment right now. It's really intense. It brings up a lot of feelings of anxiety and, um, and unrest, you know, um, just helplessness, uh, especially right now. I mean, I, I want, you know, I want to have a voice in this, but also, um, arguing with people on Facebook is only going to make all of us feel worse. Um, so I just kind of have taken a break. I'm hoping that, um, I know it seems kind of like I'm a dreamer, but I want to, I want to hope that we can come out of all of this horrible situations of 2020 with a lot of radical love and compassion somehow. Um, some serious justice and also love and compassion on the other side of it. Because if we don't, you know, it, it, it's it, negativity, it breeds and it's, it's not good for anybody. 
Right. No, and I, I could agree. I could totally agree to that. Man, I, I've been so excited, just so happy to have you here and so excited to talk to you. Uh, final thoughts for for anybody listening, like musically for you, you know, just summing up just everything. But what what would be your final message to anybody? Be patient with yourself. I think I just said that, but um, I can't stress it enough. Uh, be patient with yourself and be compassionate towards yourself and others especially others that you may not a hundred percent agree with. Um, just be, be patient and be compassionate because everyone is feeling kind of a strain right now and feeling, you know, letting our feelings of helplessness and anxiety overtake us are going to make things just harder. And as far as, you know, when, when this comes out, Likely we'll be out of quarantine, but we won't be out of the mindset of what the pandemic and what everything, you know, all the uh, protests and everything have brought us to. We won't be out of those feelings. We won't be out of that. And I just want to remind everybody to take it one day at a time. Um, handle what you can handle. Take note of the things that you have control over and release the anxiety of the things that you do not have control over. Um, because if your mental health isn't good, then you're no good for anybody. Um, so yeah, that's my final takeaway. Please be kind to yourself. Um, if you haven't looked up my music, I think that's what we're supposed to be doing here is talking about my music, right? Which we went on a whole like self-discovery journey there. But if you haven't looked up my music, I'm, I'm Hannah Demo and you can find my music on Spotify and Apple and Google and Amazon and all that. But, um, I appreciate y'all taking the time to hang out and I appreciate you, James and the powerhouse lounge for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh man, I, you know what? So the good thing about the Power of Lounge, it doesn't have to solely be about music. We did talk about <laughs> your music a lot. I I love the self discoveries because we 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 all as musicians, you hit it on the head earlier. There's some sort of there's something wrong with us as musicians. I don't think I've ever met a musician that there's nothing wrong with. You know, that there's just something going on with us. And that's, but that creates like our creative juices. I mean, we just Van have Gogh so many feelings, man. <laughs> right, right. Van Gogh wouldn't have been Van Gogh if he wanted to cut his ear off, you know. Uh, it, it's just the craziness of it all. However, the, the self discovery things, I always advocate for good mental health and making sure you're healthy if something's wrong. Because, you know, the, the last little bit of that, I'm sitting there listening to you. And my gears are turning, and those words you spoke are like words to a song. That there's your single right there. There is the hook, because it is one day at a time. It is with all the craziness in the world. Yes, we have time to woodshed music. Yes, we have time to work on ourselves if we choose to. If we don't have families or whatever it is, whatever the takeaway is. We need just a little bit of realism as well. And 
I, I love to provide that with this podcast because reality is, is we're all in this together. We'll come out of this together and we'll be better for it together. And the music that you play will be better for everything that has happened in this whole thing. And, and I, I appreciate you being real. So thank you for that. At the Powerhouse Lounge and the Lounge, lish, uh, lounge listeners appreciate that. I, I mean, the realism, Hannah, is important in music. And you took my last thoughts with, you know, I was going to ask social media, how do we find you? Uh, yeah, I um, I am Hannah Demo pretty much everywhere. It's H-A-N-N-A-H. It's the palindrome. And my last name is D-I-M-O. It's short uh, for my long Italian last name, Dimorfetto. Uh, so just Hannah Demo on Instagram is probably where I hang out the most. Um, and I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Bandcamp and, you know, probably a lot of other places that I forgot about. But, yeah, look me up. Let's hang out. <laughs> right. I, I can't wait till we can hang out again and share music and thoughts. I will definitely in the future invite you back in. In the powerhouse lounge, I might twist your arm to just hook up your acoustic and play me a song and over the air. I'd love that. I I appreciate you coming on. I mean, it's been cool to talk to you. I, I've enjoyed our first encounter. It made a huge impression on me in a way that I, I couldn't have ever thought of having this podcast without having you on. And thank you again for coming into the Powerhouse Lounge, Hannah. I, I couldn't I couldn't ask for a better interview uh, than the one we just had about just everything in general and mental health, especially because I advocate for that. And it just it it really touched me. This was a really powerful interview. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much.
of that song. Welcome back in, lounge listeners. That was Your Love, It Lies, live at Alberta Street Pub in Portland, Oregon. Um, I've been to that venue. It's such a great venue to shoot, such a wonderful-sounding venue, and that recording does that venue no justice, nor her music, but it's such a wonderful live recording, and I could not... Be happier with how that interview turned out. Now, I want to say thank you to all my guests today on the Powerhouse Lounge. Because without you guys, I wouldn't have a show. Without my show, 
well, I wouldn't have you. And I'm grateful for all the friendships that I've made through over, uh, throughout the years so far. And it's allowing me to create some great content, some great interviews, and something that we can all be proud of. So if you're stuck at home and you're creating music and you want to find a way to reach me, please do so. You can always reach out to me at james at powerhousemusicmgt.com. That's my email address. On the Facebook machine right there, you look us up. We're on there now. You can look us up on the Powerhouse Lounge. Uh, you know, we also have the website powerhousemusicmgt.com, www.powerhousemusicmgt.com. We have our merch there. You can buy uh, T-shirts, uh, just different stuff. We have, we have merch. My book is out. I have a book. There is a $10 e-copy that I will personally send you an email with that in it and a personal cater to you email saying thanking you. And I just so many other things. There's so many things out there that I could be doing other than this, but I enjoy what I do. Want to thank my sponsors, Fat Bull Clothing, uh, Fat Bull Farms, VRTXMag.com, Vortex Music Magazine, obviously, uh, Austin Randall Music. BHG Northwest Treasures, as well as my unofficial beer sponsor uh, from Barrel Mountain Brewery. That that would be the No Bad Days IPA from Battleground, Washington, where beer and adventure meet. I hope this podcast was an adventure for your ears today, and I appreciate every last one of you guests all the way down to you lounge listeners. Thank you again to ShadyPinesRadio.com and enjoy the Shady Pines open mic night. They do a live stream on YouTube, but be sure to listen in right here on ShadyPinesRadio.com as well. You get a full live stream of the open mic night. However, before the open mic night, be sure to tune in to a few tracks that I have personally selected for you this evening to get you through the next few minutes. Enjoy, folks, and enjoy the open mic night right here at ShadyPinesRadio.com. I have been your wonderful host right here at the Powerhouse Lounge, James Kemp. See you next time. <laughs>